what is good everybody man welcome to the blue bloods man it's been a while since i've done a live show i keep telling y'all i'm gonna be a little bit more consistent with it man i had to catch up on some sleep after the media day tour we did man i was gonna do a live stream right after swag media day but um listen the hotel wi-fi in birmingham i'm just gonna give i'm just gonna be a hundred percent with you guys was atrocious and i barely could even upload the videos that i posted from the event so Man, listen, I appreciate all y'all tuning in, man. My intro won't work, and so we're just going to get right into it, man. So uh, make sure to like the stream. Make sure to subscribe. We got a lot to talk about tonight, and it's, I'll, I'll go through the topics real quick, man. First off, we got to talk about whether freshmen should be able to earn preseason All-American awards as a true freshman without ever playing a game. That was a big debate as Travis Hunter was announced at a third-team All-American on the FCS stats uh, perform All-American list. Then we're going to talk a little bit about the predicted order of finishes um, across the FCS media day. So we got Swag, A-Sun, Southland, man. There, there's a lot of debate over who should be the favorite in each of these conferences. And then, of course, we'll talk a little bit about SWAC Media Day, man. It's been a little while, man. We'll uh, recap my experiences and talk a little bit about some of the things I noticed being there in Birmingham, man. I thought the event overall was great. And really and truly, it was really cool to see how all the different media days differed in their, I would say, functioning and organization, things like that, location, man. Listen, I want to give everyone a shout out. All the Swag Media Days picked, I mean, not all, all the FCS Media Days picked great locations, in my opinion, man. Listen, the SoCon showed out. Listen, the SoCon put us up in Asheville, North Carolina. It was in the mountains. They had like this big resort looking over the city, man. It was it was fancy, man. I, I didn't even feel like I belonged there. And of course, the ASUN was up in the Omni in the um in the new Brave Stadium. Listen, man, it was different. And so shout out to all the FCS conferences for putting on great media days. But first, man, uh, first announcement, listen. You guys have been asking for this, and so I want to. I want. I posted it on our community page yesterday, but I wanted to come on the stream, man, and thank all you guys for this, because without you guys, it would not be possible. I was officially selected by Craig Haley to vote in the FCS Stats Perform Top Twenty Five this year, which also means I will be voting for the Buck Buchanan Award, the Walter Payton Award the Jerry Rice Award for the Freshman of the Year, and the Eddie Robinson Award for the Coach of the Year for FCS Stats Perform. And I get to go to Frisco this year, go cover the award ceremony, man. So everyone who's watched the video, liked the video, subscribed, checked out our website, everything, man. This wouldn't be possible without you guys. So, man, this, this is really for you guys, man. And I know a lot of people really wanted, you know, someone like me to be on the panel because, there's really not a lot of people who um, I would say pay attention to SWAC football and HBC football in terms of the MEAC and SWAC. And I know me and Scotty talked about that, um, you know, talked about that on the phone not too long ago, man. So definitely, definitely appreciate y'all, man. Listen, without Scotty, without Paris, uh, Dumboys, Lawrence was one of the big ones for sure. I know, listen, Mr. Campbell's my man. I appreciate all y'all, but Listen, we got to get into it. I, I know we're going to rub some people the wrong way, man. All, all of this was great. All the congratulations, but we're going to have to really talk about this. Listen, man, Travis Hunter named an All-American on the FCS stats perform list. And, you know, this really sparked a big debate, man. I really want one 
people to call in and two people to comment what their thoughts on this are, because I'll give y'all my opinion and then I really want to get yours because one, I do want to say, man, this wasn't a shot at Craig Haley or, or anyone like that, because I think every platform, every publication has a right to make their own rules and make their own judgments on topics like this. And there's not like a hundred percent right answer on this, but for me, Personally, in my publication, I will never make a true freshman a preseason All-American. And I think all-conference might be a different you know, conversation, but HBCU Sports put out a tweet that said there were two All-Americans that they could find. The first one was North Dakota State defensive back John Santiago, which one, listen, I, I, I didn't want to call him out on Twitter, man. I respect Kim Rashad and what they're doing. John Santiago did not play for North Dakota State. He wasn't a defensive back. I mean, he wasn't he wasn't a defensive back, so that's wrong. John Santiago played for North Dakota and was a running back for North Dakota, not North Dakota State, and he played offense. And he was not a preseason all-conference selection, and he was not a preseason all-American selection. So that is false. I did the research. John Santiago did not play for North Dakota State. He did not play defensive back, and he was not selected as a preseason All-American and or All-Conference player. He won. The, he was named an All-American at the end of the season and was on the All-Conference team at the end of the season after he had a huge breakout year as a freshman for North Dakota. As a freshman, man, he led the FCS in 100-yard rushing games, was the Big Sky Freshman of the Year, and was a unanimous first-team All-Conference selection. But he was not a preseason, so HBCU Sports, that is wrong. And then they put that Ed Oliver was named to the AP, um, what was named a preseason um, All-American. That um, is true. He was named to the AP Sports, but he was a preseason All-Conference selection, and he was on the fourth team. And one of the things is, why are we doing four teams? Are you like four teams for a all conference selection, man, listen, four teams is ridiculous for two teams is kind of ridiculous, man. It, when you go up to past, in my opinion, two teams for all conference, you just might as well hand everybody an all conference award. These conferences don't have enough. Uh, listen, there's some might be enough good players. There are not four teams worth of of all conference players. I'm sorry. It's just not. And I think that's, I think that is ridiculous that they did four teams for an all conference team. I mean, everybody gets an award when you do four teams. I mean, at this point, you're just giving it to the bench warmers who played the year before. That's ridiculous. And for me, I, I, I do think freshmen deserve recognitions, and that's why multiple publications at both levels do preseason all-freshman teams. Hero Sports has an all-freshman team, 247 on three. And me, listen, I'm going to do an all-freshman team before the season. I've been working on that behind the scenes. I just had to get my All-American and all-conference team set, you know, set up. But for me, I think you deserve to be on an all-freshman team. But here's 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 where the distinction gets me in this. And this is and this is where I saw a lot of people being hypocritical on social media. Is that one here? Here were the arguments I heard. One, it and this is what Craig Haley used, and that's fine that he used this for his justification. He said in basketball, you know, true, true freshmen can be all Americans. And in my argument. 
my, excuse me, my argument is this isn't basketball. In college basketball, the one and done rule has completely changed how the landscape ha- has been shifted in college basketball. There's a possibility that every single All-American from the year before goes to the NBA. I, and there's a chance that all 10 on the first and second team guys who get selected all go to the NBA. So the turnover is much more. So you don't have a lot of returning guys that have earned those All-American spots, all-conference spots. And so for me, comparing college football and college basketball is is just a weird comparison to try to – to make because in my opinion the landscape is completely different because when you look at the all american teams in college football at the fps or fcs level there's so many returning players from those all american teams and there's so many returning guys from all conference teams that have earned those spots on the field that it's very hard to to if at least to me for people to in my opinion to, to make that distinction for a true freshman and that's what i'm saying listen and i've said this before every publication has a right to do everything as long as they're consistent with it i'm cool with it just like i said i'm going to be consistent by not including freshmen but this is why yeah exactly everyone everyone has their criteria and that's fine but here's here's where it gets me and why this this was the reason i spoke out against it is one not even an all-conference selection so how are you not even an all-conference selection on first or second team, but now you're an All-American. Two, there's too many guys who I thought deserved it. You look at B.J. Bowler. B.J. Bowler absolutely, in my opinion, deserves an All-American. He was on our second team All-American. In my opinion, I believe Benny Sapp should have got should have been in consideration. Caleb Culp for Incarnate Word should have been in consideration. Destin Mack from the Citadel should have been in should have been in consideration. All those guys proved it on the field, and so th- this is where it bothers me is. In FCS and FBS, there is a difference because in FBS, you have a lot of guys who are four or five stars coming back each year. So it's very hard to break into that All-American status at the Power 5 FBS level. But at the FCS level, what happens, to, in my opinion, is is you got Travis Hunter comes in, first ever five-star in the history of FCS. He gets this nod. In my opinion, those guys who started out as zero stars, one, two, three stars who didn't come in with the hype that have built their entire careers to this moment and are going into junior and senior years, their last chance to earn this honor, just lost out to a guy who hasn't even put on a helmet. That, to me, rubs me the wrong way because, yes, preseason might not mean anything to the fan. You know what I mean? It, it, it might not mean anything to you personally as a fan, but to the players that have went out there and sweat and went to these 5 a.m. workouts and and fought their butts off as overlooked recruits at the FCS level to, to get to that spot and be in position to receive an All-American nod, that's disrespectful to put a true freshman who hasn't even played over those guys because they, in my opinion, earned it more than he did on the field right now. And it's not saying that Travis isn't going to be good. Travis isn't going to be one of the greatest players to ever suit up in the FCS. I'm not saying any of that. He could be all those things, and he could be a postseason All-American. That's fine, whatever. But for me, you just totally 
overlooked everybody. I mean, listen, for Travis Hunter to be an All-American and Shador not being All-American, Aubrey Miller not being All-American, Cam not being All-American, Dejon uh, Warren being All-American, listen, man, I, to me, I have a problem with it. And I'm and I'm going to be consistent on the fact that I do have a problem with it because, I, listen, I had so many parents – and players that reached out to me and was like, man, listen, I thought my, you know, I thought X, Y, and Z, like, listen, I was this selection and I was, I was in line for this all American thing. I was an honorable mention last year and now I didn't even get it. So for me, I, I, I personally think that there were some misses, but the biggest thing for me is you took it away from somebody who, in my opinion, earned it on the field and it could have been their potentially, Last there is one other that. participant to so, the conference. That's where I stand on it, man. I want y'all to let me know in the chat what you guys think, because uh, you know, for me, I I can't say that um, you know, he 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 deserved it right now. And listen, he could be great, and I get it. You might not care about preseason all Americans, but listen, I promise, I promise you, those players do, and those schools do, especially the smaller ones that don't get a lot of chances to have all Americans. So. That that's going to be that's that's going to be my uh soapbox on that one. Um, let's see. To be fair, those guys, uh, none of those guys have hype like Travis preseason hype awards. You know, I get it. I get why he, why Craig Haley named them preseason All American, but it, it, it's fine. But listen, let, let's move on here real quick. Preseason predictions across the board, man, for FCS conferences. Man, we're going to get to the SWAC MEAC toward the end. We're going to start with the ASUN, just kind of briefly touch on these. Kennesaw State was picked by the coaches to win the ASUN. Um, and listen, I have no I have no complaints here. Listen, in my opinion, this is a two-horse race. Kennesaw State, Eastern Kentucky, I think are going to be the two teams that really challenge for this. Central Arkansas and Jacksonville State had too much turnover. Austin P and North Alabama just aren't there yet, in my opinion. Kennesaw State is going to run away with the ASUN, in my opinion. I think that Eastern Kentucky game might be the only one that can that could slip them up. But Kennesaw State is going to be a problem in the ASUN. I got zero problem with this at all. So con here. Chattanooga voted preseason favorites by the media, 18 first-place votes. Defending champions, ETSU got seven. Mercer with five votes, tied for second. Um, listen, I don't have a problem with Chattanooga. I think they're the best team. I had them 13th in my top 25 uh, preseason poll. I think that team's loaded. Devonshan Maxwell is an absolute stud. I lean forward at the running back spot is going to be a problem. They have a really, really good linebacking core too. And also the secondary looks like it's much improved. ETSU is a big question mark. Uh, Tyler Riddell comes back at the quarterback spot, but always replacing Quay Holmes is going to be interesting. Even though Jacob Sailors, who was a backup running back last year and had over 1,100 rushing yards, was named the SOCON preseason player of the year on the offensive side of the ball. I think the interesting one is Mercer for me. Um, in my opinion, Mercer is an overlooked team. They were extremely young last season, but losing their star running back Davis um, to an undisclosed um, off-the-field matter, um, it sounded like it was his decision, like he had a family issue or something, but – I'm not sure, man, but he had a huge season last year in um, his sophomore season, ran for almost 1,000 yards, 14 touchdowns. That's going to be a big loss. But in terms of their defense, man, I think it's going to be one of the 
more impressive ones in the SoCon, but ETSU and Mercer have a little bit of, of question marks. Furman's interesting, but the rest of them, and I think they're going to be fighting for those, you know, four through nine positions. I think an interesting one is Western Carolina. They have the old Valdosta state coach um, that came in. I think, man, he's, he's really building a t- contender. He had the highest rated recruiting class in Western Carolina history last year and also had the number one class in the SOCON. So, I think Western Carolina is a team you're going to want to watch for as well. CAA, listen, the big news, I know a lot of people wanted to talk about this. Hampton voted last in, in their first um, in their first year in the CAA only with 31 total points. They they more than double are away from Albany in that 12 spot. Villanova is voted the preseason favorite, 16 first plates for First place votes, Delaware in second with seven, Rhode Island, Richmond, William and Mary rounding out that top five. Listen, I don't mind Villanova being one. In my opinion, Delaware wins this conference. I love what Delaware is bringing back. Their quarterback comes back from injury. And on top of that, man, Kedrick White has one of my favorite defensive players. They have two all-conference selections on the defensive line. And Jalen Witcher coming in at wide receiver is going to be a problem for Presbyterian. Had over had over 1,000 yards receiving as a true freshman last year. One of the top receivers in the country, in my opinion. Now, the one gripe I have is... I don't think Monmouth finished 10th, uh, finishes 10th. I know it's their first year in the conference, and a lot of the voters really didn't know where to put them. Listen, Monmouth, in my opinion, is going to finish no less than 6th. And I would not be surprised if Monmouth makes a run into that top three. I know it's their first year in the conference. I love Tony Musket. Jawan Fari was a, was an all-conference selection at the running back spot. Daquan Grimes comes back from injury. He's a two-time first-team all-conference in the Big South. And in the secondary, Eddie Morales also comes back for his fifth and final season. I, I love what Monmouth has, and I think they're really getting overlooked because it's their first year in the conference. The MIAC here, man. I, I don't have any problem with the order. The And I know this is probably going to be one a lot of people want to talk about, but South Carolina State gets eight first plates votes. Their first, North Carolina Central and second, Norfolk, Delaware State with Howard and Morgan State rounding out the top, the the, the bottom of the, the pack there. But South Carolina State was going to be voted first. I have no problem with that. Now, the one question mark I do have is Norfolk State. I I don't I really don't know where to put them um in my opinion because they do lose a quarterback in um in Carter and that's always a really tough position to replace now they did land Jalen Adams from the Citadel but Delaware State man listen talking to the coaches at MEAC Media Day and kind of getting the sense of what the media I met there thought about the conference I really, really do think that Delaware State is going to shock some people, man. That defense is on point. They've returned all 11 players from last season, including Asias Guthrie at the defensive back spot, who potentially could be one of the best defensive players in the MEAC this upcoming season. Isaiah Williams on the defensive line is a problem as well. And Jared Lewis at quarterback, listen, I... I really like him, and he's extremely athletic, and a lot of people think that he could be the next Carter in that conference. And so Delaware State and Norfolk, I wouldn't mind if you switch. And I really do think Norfolk is going to take a step back. Now, listen, their running back spot with J.J. Davis is on point. But, man, I, I don't know if I, I – I really just don't think Norfolk's going to compete for the uh, – title this year I I really can't see it in my opinion and North Carolina Central is my dark horse for everything Uh, I think they have a really really good shot to 
potentially upset South Carolina State and win this conference. And I I think they have the best quarterback in the conference in uh, Davis Richards or Richard. I think Brandon Codrington uh, is one of the best return specialists in the country. And that that offensive line was young last year, and they returned a lot of good pieces. Corey Bullock, in my opinion, is one of the top HBCU offensive linemen right now. And they've returned most of their offensive production overall. So I really like North Carolina Central. And they're, I, I was talking about this uh, with Scotty on the phone. Their coach, you, I don't know if you guys will know what I what I mean by that, but have you? Ever, I don't know if you guys have ever talked to someone and their energy is just infectious, where it draws you in and like they could sell ice to an Eskimo, and that is what that is what Trey Oliver could do in the conversation I had with him. I mean, I left that conversation with him in that interview, really, really saying, "Man, am I going to pick North Carolina Central to win this conference?" He spoke with so so much confidence and so much bravado in his team. I love what North Carolina Central can potentially do in the MEAC this year. I think it's coming to come down to them in South Carolina State. Delaware State's probably going to um, fall somewhere in that three spot. But Morgan State, I saw a few comments. Uh, will Morgan really be last? Uh, maybe this year, Larry. But for me, uh, I think Morgan has the potential to be to maybe pull some upsets this year. But I think next year is really where you're going to see Damon Wilson get his recruiting going, get his talent in there. Because right now he's kind of working with what was left over at Morgan, which wasn't terrible. But I think that I think they're going to be last this year, at least, Larry. But uh, listen, I agree with Scotty and what a lot of other people are saying. Damon Wilson can recruit at, at one of the highest levels in that state. And I think what you saw him do at Bowie State could be replicated at Morgan. So listen, Morgan... I think is probably two years away from really and truly competing for the MEAC, but do not be surprised if they pull off an upset or two throughout this season. Now, the big sky won't spend too much time on this. I think it's pretty self-explanatory. I thought Montana easily was going to win this. Um, I had them number three in my preseason top 25 for the FCS. Now, second and third place are interesting. You've had Sacramento State and Montana State. Sac State has won two straight big sky titles, but has really fallen in terms of playoff success right now. But I want to tell you, man, watch out for Weber State, man. They won four straight Big Sky titles not too long back. But I think it's a three-team race. Montana, Montana State, and Sac State are probably going to be your team. Eastern Washington, I think, is going to face too too much of – they're probably going to have too much to overcome in terms of lo losing Eric Barrier and some of the pieces they lost. Now, this could be a year. I know Eastern Washington is known for offense. Their defense really and truly could – surprise some people they have a lot of good defensive linemen that secondary looks like it's improved they just landed a four-star from washington state um i think his name's alphonse alphonse or alphonse something like that i think um i think eastern washington's defense could be the reason they potentially don't fall too far now uc davis at five is interesting i'll see, i would like to see more from them i think they were a young team last year but a lot of unknowns there um and in terms of Northern Arizona, too, R, um, R.J. Martinez at the quarterback spot is going to be a really, really interesting player. I had him as a preseason all-conference selection for the Big Sky at quarterback. 
I love his game. He can do it all with his with his arm, with his feet, and I think he's going to be a dynamic guy that's going to be really, really hard to deal with in some of those big games. But Montana, Sac State, and Montana State are going to compete for that conference. But listen, man, Montana is loaded from top to bottom. They return a running back that had like 26 rushing touchdowns in 2019. He missed last season due to an injury he suffered in the spring. He averages like eight yards a carry for his career. Listen, Montana, in my opinion, would be my pick right now to win the Big Sky. Big South, listen, this was a big one too. North Carolina A&T. Um, let's see. Oh, yeah. Um, did Norfolk lose a lot of guys because they were supposed to win the MEAC last year? I believe so. That they, they, they had a little bit of turnover in the transfer portal, Mr. Campbell. It also could be some off-the-field stuff. I know there was – that report of um, like sexual assault or something like that off the field. I know um, Scotty did a show on that. And then, you know, you have the housing situation potentially. I don't know how much that off the field stuff is playing into it, but they didn't have a lot of, you know, staff turnover, but in terms of, um, you know, Odom's potentially bringing in some players he wanted and kind of filtering out the players he doesn't could be the reason you saw so much turnover, but I'm going to be interested in Norfolk and they're a big question mark for me this year. Now, North Carolina A&T, six first place votes. Campbell in second with two. Charleston Southern, Gardner-Webb, Bryant, and Robert Morris round out that conference. Now, for me, I don't think Bryant finishes fifth. I think Bryant is going to be better than that. They're coming over from the NEC this year. This will be their first year in the Big South. Um, and listen, I, okay, I do think Campbell and North Carolina A&T are the top two teams. Again, like I said with Trey Oliver, talking to Mike Minterman, we did our interview. It was like a seven-minute interview that you can find on our channel. We talked for probably 20 minutes off camera about just the recruiting process, some players on his team, how he's feeling, his staff. Listen, uh, it, all I can say is Mike Mentor thinks you guys are sleeping on him, and he said that he's going to wake some people up. He said, listen, I want them to think we're, we're just the Campbell of the past. He said, I understand why people don't trust us because of our record and what's happened in the past. But he said, listen, this is a different team. He said, we finally got a staff in here that I like, finally got some players that can play. Listen, Campbell is going to be a problem, and it's going to come down to North Carolina a and Campbell. And I agree with this comment here. Um, let's see, where where did it go? Yes, chance that um, he has to win the Big South. Uh, North Carolina A&T has to win the Big South. If you do not win the Big South this year, the CAA is going to be absolute hell for North Carolina A&T. This is the year where they have a returning quarterback. Their offensive line is pretty good this year. should take a large step forward. Their defense has some big-time contributors. You look at Jacob Roberts and some other guys coming in there. Listen, this is the year, but Sam Washington really spoke champ and, and everyone about the secondary. He said last season, he thought North Carolina A&T is as, as, as little as they ran the ball or as, or I would say as bad as they ran the ball with Jermaine Martin dealing with some injuries and that offensive line didn't do well. He said that the secondary cost them more games than anything. He said the secondary, I mean, he didn't, he didn't, you know, mince any words. He said the secondary was atrocious. 
He said the secondary was was trash pretty much. And he said that was the main focus of the staff this year was to recruit more guys to the secondary, develop those guys that are already there. They made a change at the de- at, at the um, defensive back coach posi- um, spot. And he said that he feels a lot more comfortable with that secondary going into 2022. So I think when you look at A&T, you're going to see – you're going to have to see the secondary develop. The offensive line is going to have to take a small step forward. And then, of course, replacing Jermaine Martin is not easy. And listen, I texted Scotty this, and this is this is some insider stuff. Only you guys are knowing it right now on this show. Before media day started, I was sitting in a room with all the player representatives from these respective schools, and they were t- they talked about Jermaine Martin and the guarantee for 2,000 yards and how he was kind of talking down on the Big South. And he said, um, listen, there were some players, not going to say who, that said that they felt like it was a mission to make sure Jermaine Martin got dominated last season. And I think that's why you saw so many teams crack down on that run game. And they said that they said he came in talking too much, too much crap and they had to shut it down. And so, listen, Jermaine Martin rubbed a lot of the conference the wrong way. And a lot of those teams wanted to make an emphasis that North Carolina A&T wasn't going to come into this conference and run like they did in the MEAC. And the, the, the like one player even said, he was like, this ain't the MEAC. He was like, we play big boy football here. And, and listen, they, they were very, very vocal that, um, Jermaine Martin uh, came in a little bit too confident, but listen, I think it's Campbell A&T. Bryant, though, is a team I really, really like, though. They're coming in from the NEC. Don't be surprised if they make a run into that top three, potentially. Now, the Missouri Valley, this came out today. Um, so th- this this is pretty new. And North Dakota State, 39 first-place votes. Shocker, South Dakota State, two first-place votes, and it's everybody else. I think the top three teams were a given. North Dakota State was number one in my preseason top 25. South Dakota um, South Dakota State was number two. Not a surprise there. Missouri State was fifth in my rankings. And, um, listen, I, I think that's easy. One, two, three. Southern Illinois is going to be interesting. I, I really do want to see how Youngstown State comes out. They, they did a lot of work in the portal this offseason, I, I really hope that to see Youngstown State kind of reestablish their dominance, one of the blue blood programs of the FCS. And I, I, I would, in my opinion, love to see Youngstown State kind of make some noise this year. I think South Dakota is another team you potentially could look out for. I think South Dakota and Northern Iowa are just those teams that you always see make the playoffs with, with six, seven wins, and then they find a way to make a big upset or give some people some headaches. And I think that's what you're going to get this year. But easy, easy here. It's North Dakota State. South Dakota State and it's everybody else. And let me just say, and I, I agree with I agree with Paris here. South Dakota State is looking for three in a row over North Dakota State. They're on a two game win streak right now over North Dakota State, and they get North Dakota State uh, coming in this year. I would if they win three in a row. Man, that the pressure is going to be on in the playoffs because they keep beating North Dakota State in the regular season, but then don't make it far enough to face North Dakota State in the playoffs. You know, in the spring they made it to the championship win against Sam Houston and and really choked that game away. But 
Mark Gronikowski comes back uh, fully healthy. Isaiah Davis comes back fully healthy, who is an Both of those guys are absolute studs. The, the receiver spot with a janky is loaded. The defense, man, has like eight or nine all-conference selections. Listen, South Dakota State, if you're going to get North Dakota State and get that national championship, their first one ever, by the way, South Dakota State has never won a national title. This is the year they potentially could do it. That team is loaded. They had more, they had the most first team all conference selections um, in the MVFC today as well. So that's something to look for as well. Let's see. And then the Southland. Uh, I think this was a was a given to Southeastern Louisiana pick first. Uh, Incarnate Word kind of threw a wrench when they decided to come back. They were second. Nichols, McNeese, Northwestern State, Texas A&M Commerce, man, coming up from D two get doesn't get voted last, man. I thought that was interesting. I loved uh Coach Bailiff talking to him at Southland Media Day, man. He was uh he was very vocal. I asked uh Coach Bailiff for Texas A&M Commerce on how he how he projects to bring that D two success up to the Southland, and he just said, I don't know if we can. He said, I know we're a good Lone Star Conference D two team. He said, I don't know where we uh where we rank in the Southland. He said, we'll find out, but that, that's a team that uh, won the 2017 D2 title, if I, if I remember right, and they made a few playoff runs. Man, I really liked uh, Texas A&M Commerce. D. Walker was someone I really enjoyed talking to, a linebacker for them. So look out for them. And then McNeese, man. McNeese is going to be interesting. They hired Gary Goff this offseason, a Valdosta State head coach. Um, he had a 22-3 and record at Valdosta State. Got them to the national championship. Listen, Gary Goff can recruit. I think going to the state of Louisiana with all that talent could be dangerous if he can get McNeese rolling. The quarterback spot is going to be interesting. They they added um, the kid from Jackson State. Um, I'm blanking on his name, but um, I want to say it's like Elijah or something like that. Added him at the wide receiver spot. They already have their leading wide receiver coming back. If they can get a quarterback, McNeese could be interesting moving forward, but Lindsey Scott steps in for Cameron Ward and incarnate word. I love head coach uh, GJ uh, Kenny. I got to talk to him as well. Listen, man, that is a Texas dude. He gets to come back to te- yes. Um, a la Brown, my bad, man. I was blanking on his name, but um, listen, uh, Southeastern also replaces a quarterback. It looks like it's probably going to be Cephas, um, Cephas Johnson from Mobile, Alabama. Listen, man, I saw him play at South. The kid is extremely athletic, but it's going to come down to that Southeastern and incarnate word game. I, I think that's going to be an interesting race, but right now I would lean with Southeastern because of their defense. And then this is the one I know everyone has been waiting to see the swag, man. And, um, Jackson State, of course, voted to win the East. Southern voted to win the West. Uh, FAMU in second, a and in third, Alabama State four, Bethune-Cookman, Mississippi Valley State, while Southern's followed by Alcorn, Prairie View, Grambling, UAPB, and Texas Southern. And uh, I know a lot was made. And in my opinion, I do not see either of those six-place teams finishing there. It, just, just in my opinion. I was surprised how... I mean, the fact that Valley was that far behind Bethune-Cookman really surprised me. And I, I, I don't know why. I mean, maybe it's because they're very high on the other teams. Maybe they're looking at Bethune-Cookman saying they got Jalen Jones. They got Kamari Everett. They Their defense is pretty good. Um, they, they have uh, Hill Robinson at the cornerback spot. Um you know, maybe they're just that high on Alabama State with uh, D- uh, Demetrius Davis coming in at quarterback and Earshot coming back. 
I, I, I just don't know, man. I really would like for the voters to kind of speak up on that. And in case you guys uh, wanted to know, the people who supposedly vote on this committee are the SIDs and coaches in the SWAC. Uh, so as all the SIDs for the SWAC schools and all the coaches are, are the ones that supposedly voted for this, or at least that's what I was told at SWAC Media Day. And so it looks like they're not very high on Valley or Texas Southern. And I got to talk to Dancy, uh, head coach Dancy, at SWAC Media Day after this came out. It was weird because I did some interviews before this came out, and then I did some interviews after this came out. And Dancy was extremely, extremely pissed about this. And I think you could tell he has a chip on his shoulder. And I just – listen, I will be shocked if Valley finishes last now. A tangent real quick. I do want to give a shout out to head coach Dancy. I don't know if anyone's done a video on it or released an article. I'm probably going to do an article probably sometime this week, hopefully tomorrow on it. Head co- uh, Dancy was selected to the NFL, um, I believe, fellowship or minority fellowship, the same thing that KJ Black was selected to. Um, uh, Dancy is going to be going to coach for the Jaguars uh, throughout training camp. He'll be coaching running backs and getting some really great experience. And I think with his career trajectory and how great of a coach he is, I think this is a great opportunity for Dancy, man. And I, I don't think there really and truly there was a better coach to get that opportunity. And so, man, shout out to Coach Dancy, man. I'm, I'm expecting him to go down to Jacksonville and kill it. And I'm, I'm going to be interested to see how that works with his camp because if he's down with the Jaguars, who's really going to be there with Valley? We'll kind of see how that works. But I'm really glad he got that opportunity, man. And shout out to Coach Dancy. Um, but Texas Southern, is there anything to say about this, man? You got Andrew Body. At the quarterback spot, man, and quarterback's the biggest thing, in my opinion, that you're going to have. Yeah, I, I will be shocked if Texas Southern finishes six. Listen, I will I will come on this show and apologize to everyone. Apologize. I will admit I have zero football knowledge. I will be mind blown if Texas Southern finishes last in that division. I mean, right now, I like Texas Southern more than UAPB as a team, Prairie View as a team. I, I really and truly, I would put them on par with Grambling right now, but with all the unknowns in, in terms of their team right now, coming in with the first year head coach and Hugh Jackson, I just, I don't see how you, how you can say Texas Southern is last in this division. I don't, I, I just, I cannot see it, man. It, it makes zero sense to me on how this, how this has happened in my opinion. And, you know, I saw some people saying that Southern uh, had a little bit of problem with Southern, you know, being voted favorites. I like Southern as, as, as the favorite in the West right now. I know they do have a first-year head coach, but when you look at their additions out of the transfer portal, I think a lot of them are are proven compared to some of the other teams in that division. I love what the, I love Bashan McCray at quarterback. I think he's probably going to win the job. But when you look, they're already returning Kobe Dillon at running back, so we know what what is there. They're returning some really strong offensive linemen, Brian Williams, and um, oh man, I cannot believe I'm blanking on his name. It's Brian Williams and somebody, um, Dallas Black. That's who it is. The, the offensive line is on point for Southern already. And also, man, that secondary is going to be absolutely disgusting. Let me just say this. If you're talking ranking secondaries, it starts with Jackson State and it goes straight to Southern in terms of 
in, in terms of overall depth and talent at the defensive back spot. And then, and then on the others, and then of course you go to probably fan you at that point. But when you, when you look at the all conference selections, they got from the D two and other FCS programs and FBS talent from uh, Troy, I'm, I'm blanking on the kid's name. It, that defense is going to be a problem. And of course you got Dumas, man, Jason Dumas, in my opinion, Right now in the swack, and I, I listen. This is not taking anything away from Isaiah Land. This is not taking away from anything from Nugget or any other defensive player. Aubrey, Jason Dumas is the most dominant. I didn't say talented, dominant player in the swack right now. On especially on the defensive side of the ball, it's not even a debate. Well, when you look at what he did at Prairie View with nobody next to him, unless you're a Prairie View fan, you couldn't name another player on that defensive line from Prairie View last season that you would have to game plan for because there wasn't anybody really and truly over at Prairie View that you had to game plan for. I mean, Jason Dumas was it, and he was facing double and triple teams week after week and bullying offensive linemen. And when and really, when you look at that Jackson State game, man, he, he kept PV in that game. I really, I know Shador didn't have his best game, and it was because Jason Dumas was in his face every single play. The guard center guard could not handle Dumas, and he did it game after game. And listen, I think Jason Dumas. Now that you pair him up with um with Jordan Lewis, and you also pair him up with some of the people that they have on the edge on the other side, listen, man, you are not just going to be able to double Jason Dumas all game. Uh, you are going to have to. You're going to have to figure out. It's, it's pick your poison. You got a Buck Buchanan, a winner on the edge, and and you got a defensive tackle who's a three-time All Swag selection and an FCS All-American. It's going to be a problem, man. And I, I'm excited to see it. All corn is a big question mark for me. Um, you know, uh, listen, I, I think replacing Felix Harper is a huge, huge task. When you and I think this goes along with Alabama a and too. When you replace a all-time great quarterback in your program's history, there's always going to be growing pains, especially if you don't have a groomed replacement. And I think when you look at both of those teams with um, with Quincy Casey and with the Allen kid from Louisiana Tech, those guys haven't been in the program that long. And so you don't have like a groomed replacement really coming in as like a guarantee. And so I think Alcorn goes through some growing pains. And when you look at that second place vote, it's because they have Fred McNair and he has earned the respect that we're going to give you the benefit of the doubt because you are because because you're Fred McNair and you've done this at 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 the biggest level and their offensive line was their offense and defensive line needed some size they went out and got that we'll see how they gel together because we saw with Jackson State you can get a lot of size but you got to have chemistry and that's going to be the question is how those how the line of scrimmage for Alcorn looks and how they develop throughout the season. So um, I think all corn is going to be a big question mark, but just because of McNair, I don't mind that second place voting. Prairie View should not have been third. And I want to talk to the five people who voted them. Number one. Yes. Those things in the parentheses are first place votes. Who are the five people that voted for Prairie View? Number one, because I need to talk to all five of them and ask, I I need a film breakdown. I need, I need a roster breakdown. What about Prairie View right now with a first-year head coach and losing all their top talent? I mean, there's an argument they lost like their top six players from, from last season. At the quarterback spot on defense, I need to know the five people who voted Prairie View number one because what what this what gets me about this is it really just looks like 
Prairie View was just voted first because they won last year. So I hate voters like that that are like, you won the national championship or you, or you won the division last year. We're just going to vote you first just because. It's like, yeah, there's there's no evidence in the world that suggests that Prairie View should have a first place vote. I, and we're just going to leave it at that. Grambling's a big unknown. I still will probably put them above Prairie View. I mean, even with Hugh Jackson coming in, I think when you look at the defense for Grambling, that's going to be the biggest thing, man, is – if that defense continues to play how they did last season, man, this team could be interesting to watch. Now, the offensive side of the ball has a lot of developing to do, and they were last in the swag in, um, in, in passing offense last year. They had more interceptions than touchdowns through the air last season at the quarterback spot for a team. Like, the entire team threw more interceptions than they did touchdown passes. That cannot happen i think Halloween and some of those quarterbacks they brought in were great i think the chance amy kid from syracuse is going to be someone to watch i've heard from some people that i know in the program that that kid is balling out and there's a good chance that he starts the north texas kid has a lot of talent as well so grambling has a lot of question marks but they have a lot of talent the running back from nebraska man listen is going to be a problem. Maurice Washington is going to be one of the top running backs, in my opinion, to watch coming coming in. I think him and then Savion Wilkerson from, from Delaware State to uh, Jackson State are going to be the two incoming running backs that I'm extremely excited to see how they fit into their scheme. So those two guys are someone to watch. And then in the East, man, I think Jackson State, Listen, put your hands up in the chat if you were surprised Jackson State um, was voted first. I was surprised to see that FAM got seven first-place votes. I really was. I, I really, just because of the media presence and because of the hype behind their name and how... And I would say how they already went undefeated in the SWAC last season, I was really surprised that... Jackson State didn't get more first place votes. So I'm going to be completely honest with you. I don't mind it. I mean, it's not a big deal, but I really did expect Jackson State to really run away with this one, and they really didn't. I mean, they only eight points above FAMU. And so I think there's a lot of people looking at Willie Simmons and looking at the fact that they didn't play football for an entire season, only lost that game by one point. And I think they're putting a lot of stock into Willie Simmons making that adjustment and bringing in some more talent. Now, for them, the safety spot um, is going to be a big one. I think the linebacker spot as well. I know they brought in Isaiah Major from uh, the Juco level. And then at the safety spot, they brought in Jordan Moore. And they brought in a kid from um, Iowa State. I think it's Kamani King or something like that. Those two guys look like they have a lot of potential. But when you're replacing – when you're replacing a guy like Marquise Bell and even Antoine Collier, who won, who went and won the MVP at um at uh what's it called the HBCU Legacy Bowl, uh, listen, I listen, I don't know, uh, I, it's it's going to be tough. And so on the offensive side, luckily they have a guy who's coming in to replace Bishop Bonnet and Terrell Jennings. He was already on the team, had some moments where he really took over games in, in replace of Bishop Bonnet at times when they needed to give him a break. So I think Terrell Jennings is going to be an easy, easy um, running back one. They added some depth through the transfer portal. And we know what the wide receiver spot is. You still got Shareed. You still got Xavier Smith. The wide receivers are going to be – fine at FAMU. I'm not, I'm not going to be worried about them too much. The tight end spot, they return all their guys from last year, their top guys. Kamari Young is going to be somebody I'm really excited, and I'm, I'm hoping I'm hoping the new offensive coordinator uses him more. 
I think with his size and his red zone threat ability, I, I really do think that he could be special. I know he um, had a little bit of a breakout against Southern. I, I th- I'm sure, pretty sure he scored that first touchdown in the red zone, and they need to use him more like that. But the offensive line is going to be big. They got some big pieces to replace, Jay Jackson, Williams, Keenan Forbes. But overall, I think FAMU, it, it's going to probably come down um, to FAMU and Jackson State for that uh, division. I've already kind of talked about Alabama A&M. Listen, they need some luck. I'll, I'll be completely honest. And the, the reason I say that is because uh, you hear some coaches talk about this, is that if you overuse the transfer portal, it could go really well for you, which is what we saw with Jackson State. I, I think it was a very rare occurrence that you saw Jackson State bring in as many transfers and new guys as they did, and it worked immediately, and it clicked as soon as they hit the field. There's also the flip side possibility of that chemistry not being there. And it really just seems like you got a bunch of pieces that don't fit together. And that's what a lot of coaches worry about. And that's why a lot of FCS coaches still prefer to build off the high school recruiting trail and developing players that, you know, the North Dakota State model or someone like that. The defense is going to have to gel. Because there were too many times that where that defense wasn't communicating, they didn't have that aggression, and they didn't have that go-to pass rusher. So for me, when I look at the defense, one, you have to have somebody like an Isaiah Land, like a Dumas, like a Jordan Lewis that can go get the quarterback when you need him to. In big moments, teams who can't get pressure on the quarterback are going to get picked apart. And so I think Alabama A&M has to have an edge rusher really step up and be the guy to go get the quarterback. At the linebacker spot, they brought in some promising guys, but I don't think the linebacker spot was arguably their biggest need. The secondary, though, man, I still talk about this to this day, man. Uh, when Josh, when Josh Lanier in the slot on, on the right side of the field, the home side, I remember as I was sitting right there in the stands, he runs across the formation and not a single player for Alabama A&M even moves his feet. And he's wide open. I, I don't understand how that happens at the D1 level. The fact that you have a guy come in motion and nobody moves. I still, to this day, to this day, I don't understand how that happened. And so the secondary's got to get better, man. And they lost Troutman, um, and I believe they lost another guy to the transfer portal, but they brought in, I believe, two four-star guys at corner that have some that that have some height, that have some link to them, and potentially could bring a lot of athleticism to the back end of that defense. But communication and chemistry are going to be the most important things in, in terms of Alabama A&M. Um, in my opinion, for success. And then Alabama State is an interesting one. I kind of put them in that unknown category. Um, yeah, uh, they hired a new DC. I, I don't remember his name, but they did They did bring in a new DC, uh, new defensive coordinator. So uh, they, they will be running a new scheme. And I, I'm going to be interested to see what that looks like and how pieces are going to fit. Now, Alabama State is so interesting, man, because I think they have – one of the highest ceilings in the division, but also potentially one of the lowest floors if things don't click right. And when you look at the offense, they do return Ja'Cory Merritt at the running back spot, who I really, really like. And on, and then at the wide receiver spot, they brought in a lot of pieces to kind of replace some guys that they lost this offseason. And they brought in a lot of guys with size, and they brought in a few slot guys that have a little bit of speed on them. And so I'm going to be interested to see how – in my opinion, how they utilize – because over the last few um, 
over the last few you know watches swag football they just didn't have any versatility in their offensive play calling it was either Ezra Gray went wild or you would hope Ryan Nettles had a okay game like they they didn't have any versatility they didn't have any levels or depth to their offense and so I'm going to be interested to see if they can get that going into this season because if you don't have any versatility, if you don't have any depth and I would say creativeness to your offense, man, and the swag with the talent and the level of defense that's played in this conference, I, I don't see how you how, how you're going to be able to compete. Um, and so for me, I, I'm good. I, I don't know about Alabama State in terms of that, but listen, Davis at quarterback is the truth. I'll just say that he is absolutely the truth at quarterback. Listen, I'm an Auburn guy. I'm, I'm an Auburn guy. I saw him at Auburn. I thought he should have been Auburn starting quarterback two two years ago as a true freshman. I think he's going to be that good. And as long as they just put the ball in his hands and let him go make plays, that offense could experience a little bit of a revitalization that they've been needing. I think he can do it with his feet. He can do it with his arms. As long as he can build the chemistry with the offensive line and his wide receivers, I'm going to be interested to see their offensive line is fine. Paris, um, the O-line really and truly for Alabama State was not a big problem last year. They have, a, if I'm not mistaken, I believe Austin was an all-conference selection. Um, it, I, I'll have to look. I think it's Robert Alston, but in my opinion, the offensive line is not a huge problem. And the defense, man, I, I think the defense has always been good for Alabama State, and they do. I believe they just hired a new defensive coordinator after Suell left. But when you got Earshot Davis, you got Bubba, and you got some guys on the defensive line who are coming back. I'll be surprised if Alabama State's defense takes a large step back. Now, the one question is I think they have to get a guy like I was just talking about with Alabama A&M that can go get the quarterback. They've been really strong at the defensive tackle spot, which is why I think their run defense has been really good these past few seasons. But they haven't done a good job outside of outside of design blitzes getting to the quarterback. And I think what makes good defenses – really reach that elite level. When you look at FAMU, when you look at Jackson State, when you look at those top defenses in the conference and even the country, when you look at a North Dakota State, when you look at a Jackson State, a FAMU, a Kennesaw State or whoever, they have they can get pressure on the quarterback with four guys. And that is special. When when you can get when you can get to the quarterback with four guys, it opens up your defensive scheme to do so much more, and it unlocks so many more schemes and designs and coverage possibilities that you can run on the back end because you're not worried about bringing a linebacker down. You're not worried about bringing a safety in the box. You're not worried about you know, leaving your DB potential on the island against a really good wide receiver. If you can get pressure with four and allow those other guys on the defense to go do other jobs and, and fill in other roles – in, in my opinion, it really helps a defensive coordinator scheme up something against good teams. And I think that's what you saw with Jackson State through most of the season is they didn't have to bring a lot of blitzes if they didn't want to. All they had to do was allow James Houston to go get the quarterback, allow a- Antoine Owens to to get pressure up the middle or or off the edge when he when he played that position. And when they when they schemed for James Houston, they forgot about Niles Gaddy, and he was able to get upfield and get to the quarterback. Getting pressure with four guys really unlocks the defense. Same with FAMU and Isaiah Land, Savion, and a lot of those guys they had last year, General Hunt. That is that that's what makes defenses elite. Elite defenses always can get pressure on the quarterback with four guys. And so that's something I think a lot of these other SWAC teams have to look at and have to figure out who is that guy that they can count on to get um to get pressure. Now Bethune, I think, is an interesting one as well. I think it's all about Jalen Jones' development, man. 
if Jalen Jones comes in and he's a guy who goes and makes plays with his legs and, and doesn't turn the ball over and improves his accuracy a little bit, Bethune could be a problem as well. Kamari Everett, in my opinion, is the best tight end in FCS football. I know Tucker Craft has a good argument for South, uh, South Dakota State as well, but I, I think Kamari Everett, in terms of what he does in the in the receiving aspect of his of his game and being able to go play pretty much a glorified wide receiver spot about you know that Kyle Pitts type role I I think in my opinion Kamari Everett that's what gives him um an advantage and so I like Bethune Cookman but the defense has a few question marks in the front seven for me they lose their top linebacker they lose some of their top edge rushers and so for me I want to see how they replace those guys up in that front seven and so that would kind of be my breakdown of the conference I already talked about Valley to start off it's all about the quarterback uh Jamari Jones I believe is his name from Juco if he develops he's going to be somebody that um I think could be really good. And, you know, we'll just kind of go right into it as well on SWAC Media Day. You know, I know there was a lot of criticism and, and things like that. And, you know, that's all fair. The, you know, the one thing I would say that, that I would like to see, you know, being going to seven media days in 11 days really kind of showed me like the the full spectrum of what media day could be. And the one thing – um the one thing I wish the SWAC would have done is separate the team tables from like the main interview room. Cause um, the way it was set up, I don't know if you guys saw it on camera is there was the main stage and then all the tables were like down the side of the, uh, of the main room. And so Alabama, A&M, Alabama state, uh, PV, and I think it was Grambling. All those those tables were so close to the main stage that if they were recording, you couldn't even get those interviews. Like, um, I had an interview with the Alabama State table that I couldn't that I couldn't even post because the audio was just like destroyed. And so, I would like to see them kind of separate it. I know the SoCon, the MIAC, and some of these other conferences they had separate rooms. So they had like the media room where like all the players and everyone stood, so you can go get your interviews, make Radio Row, and all that kind of stuff. And then they had the 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 main broadcast in another room and so it allowed the noise to kind of like disperse itself instead of everything um just kind of like bunched up and like not very organized so i think organization was my biggest thing is that i don't think the swack one was super super organized there was a media room but it was so full with people man there were like tables where like i had my laptop and things set up but then you had um the black the black college sports network you had hbcu game day in that corner you had roland martin you had um hbcu go plus or something like that then in the back you had a another um news organization so like there weren't even room to put the teams in so i would you know with the amount of media that came to swag media day listen you got to expand it to three rooms because i think there were so many people and i've talked to some other media that even lost um that even lost their interviews just because it was so chaotic and so hectic that it was really hard to separate the audio. And I, I think even with good mics, like I got a really nice mic for my camera and I know some other people had the handheld mics and you could still see kind of the chaos. And I think when you look at my interviews from different media days, you could tell the ones that were a little bit more chaotic because you see people walking in and out, walking in the back, walking around when some of the more organized ones are kind of, me and that person and the, and like it's just us there and so i think um spreading it out a little bit will be big and i think that's something that the swag can do um 
moving forward. But like, I agree with you guys. I, I don't know if they expected that much media presence. I mean, there, when I say there was so much more media presence at the SWAC compared to most other FCS conferences that, I mean, it was, it was, an, it was intense, man. Like, um, you know, I, the SWAC was the second media day I went to, I went to the Southland on Wednesday and man, I'm telling you, it was like, four or five times the amount of media was were at was it swag media day compared to the southland like in the media room for the southland um it was me an espn radio station and like four or five news stations um in in the media room and in the swag i just described the media room and just the main one and that's not even talking about all the ones that were just walking around and there to get single say like the media presence at the SWAC was so great that like I understand that they you know probably ran out of room or potentially um you know didn't have the the ability to kind of spread that out but I think everybody at My Wi-Fi just went out. Oh, well, we're back, I think. But um, you know, having everyone spread out and allow people to get those interviews and get those one-on-one interviews um, are big. I think that that will be a huge thing moving forward. And also, uh, you know, for the other FCS conferences too. I mean, I, I would like to see more national media there. I think um, with, with the thing I was surprised about is. Um, the fact that there were not a, there, like Hero Sports went there, FCS Stats wasn't there. I know Sam Herter and then went to like the Big Sky, and so maybe it was just, um, you know, maybe it's just location. Like for me, I could like I, I so just the Blue Bloods, the organization we got approved for Big Sky, we got approved for CAA, MVFC, all the ones that were um, remote to over Zoom, and for for me. I was, you know, I couldn't make it. I couldn't afford to go to Spokane, Washington. Like that's a long drive from Mobile, Alabama. And so maybe it was just that, but I, I was really surprised of the national FCS media what, wasn't as present for uh, some of the other media days. And even like the, with the SWAC, I mean, I was surprised, you know, how many people who cover SWAC media that I know weren't there, in, in my opinion, because, you know, I talked to, I don't know if you got... Uh, Listen, go check out my guy, The Real Review. Um, man, shout out to him, man. He's from Jackson. I know he's he does a lot of new stuff over in Jackson, but he was telling me he was like, you know, all these um, YouTubers and everyone and in, in news organizations that quote unquote cover the swag, the fact that they weren't there at Swag Media Day says a lot about, you know, are do they actually want to cover the swag and are, are they serious about being media? And, you know, I know my guy Scotty had his own issues with the swag, but like all the everyone else, I, it was weird not seeing. I think Coach Walker was the only other guy who I saw at Swag Media Day. And, man, I want to give a shout out to um, Jamie Walker, um, Stephen Gaither, Dr. Cavill, and some of the other guys that I got to meet in person. Man, listen, Stephen Gaither was with me like every step of the way, man. I saw him at SWAC Media Day. He came up to Charlotte with, you know, and I saw him at Big South Media Day and I saw him at MEAC Media Day in Norfolk, man. And so um, it, 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 it was, it was really cool to finally meet those guys. And listen, um, 
uh, it, it was wild, man. Listen, the setup. I want to give a shout out, man. HBCU game day. Stephen Gaither and them. Listen, the setup they had at Swag Media Day. I know you guys probably saw it in the videos with with the couch and and the background. The setup to see in person was insane, man. Was absolutely insane. And yeah, my bad. Also, swacking a full man got to meet G as well. But man, listen, Stephen Gaither and, and them guys, man, they they had the setup at Swag Media Day, and I I got a lot of ideas on how I need to improve on equipment, what I need to improve for uh, Media Day next year, man. So we're gonna try to take it up a next level um next year for media day man but i appreciate y'all rocking with me in terms of media day covers man i got most of the videos up and everything we'll be dropping some articles this week kind of recapping the interview spotlight some of the players i dropped the article andrew body today man on our website the bluebloodspod.com man but listen i got a little bit of time probably 15 20 minutes to take some calls if you guys want to call in i'm gonna get the call line up right now so call in and also um man any comments or anything that you guys want to address man put it in the chat and we'll, we'll knock this thing out the next 20 minutes or so some of the conferences are just particular about youtubers i've had the same challenges getting credentials with the carolina panthers sometimes they just pick you for no reason yeah that's interesting man because um listen uh, so it an advice to any up-and-coming media uh, okay if you're just if you're just a youtuber and this is all you want to do is it's just hop on youtube get some views everything like that we all uh, all good man everything's cool like that's what you want to do that's good but like if you are actually wanting to get into media my number one advice to you guys start a website start a website starting a website and writing and getting your name out there as a real as as a real publication is like the first step to actually getting respect man we listen we uh we started the website in may and since may all like all conference teams all the american teams credentials are coming so easy because every time you apply for a credential for anybody out there who's thinking about starting a show having a website is is a criteria you have to put your website you have to put your company and register yourself as an llc whatever whatever your name is everything register yourself as an llc because that puts you down as a company a real organization and therefore uh, everything listen this is this isn't a business podcast man i'm just trying to give you know a little bit of game out there in terms of how to do that but that's a big thing man because ever since we got the website man the credentials have been uh much easier to obtain because they're looking at you as um real media um in, in terms of you know what you do because like i don't know if you guys saw um just for schedule man if you want to if you know because i love talking to people who support the show and everything man so if you guys want to catch me i will be in um i will be in atlanta for the meak swag challenge um credentials just came in yesterday i believe we got approved for that so we'll be in atlanta for the meak swag challenge i will be in lorman week one uh, for Stephen F. Austin versus Alcorn State. And then I will also be there in week two, Tennessee State, Jackson State, in um in Memphis. And then let me pull up um let me pull up the list here because I have a list of games that are confirmed. Um also October 15th, man. I want to shout out shout out my girl. Um let's see. Um listen, we, we're gonna do a YouTuber thing. In um in Southern October fifteenth, Alcorn State Southern and Baton Rouge, we are going to um we are going to be there and we are going to um have 
that ha like have like a YouTuber thing, man. Shout out to my girl. I believe it's uh Pezzy on um Instagram. She hit me up and uh, we're we're gonna definitely do that. And I keep seeing, let's see, my top 25. Uh let's see if I can pull it up. Hang on, man. All right, while I work the pool, um, <laughs> but it's all good, man. I just want to give out um, a, a, a little bit of a little bit of thing, man. Let's. Oh no, Paris, I will be at Boombox too. Okay, so the only like I'm going to Allcorn Southern because I was invited by somebody. They they said they're gonna hook me up, and they want that they they have an idea on like a YouTube like a like a media type thing they want to do and so that's why i'm going to go to that game and i got in personally invited to that one man and anytime anyone personally invites me to a game i got you guys uh let's see if i can pull this up let's see t i don't have a graphic man so let me see if i can share my screen try not to give out anyone's number or anything like that all right let's see if i can share my screen See. All right, it isn't letting me share it, T, but I can just name off my top 25 for you, man. Um, so at 25, I had Monmouth, 24, Weber State, 23, Northern Iowa, 22, South Dakota, 21, Eastern Kentucky, 20, Southeastern Louisiana, 19, Eastern Washington, 18, I had Mercer. 17 Holy Cross, 16 UT Martin, 15 Incarnate Word, 14 Jackson State, 13 Chattanooga, 12 De Delaware, 11 East Tennessee State or ETSU, 10 Villanova, 9 Southern Illinois, 8 Stephen F. Austin, 7 Kennesaw State, 6 Sacramento State, 5 Missouri State, 4 Montana State, three Montana and then South Dakota state and North Dakota state um, round out my top 25 at one and two. I'll post, I'll post a link in the comments for anybody who wants to check that out. So it's right there. You guys can pull it up and any questions y'all have. Um, I got you guys. Let's see. Blue West the JSU line looking like Harry said they solid. Um, the offensive line for me, I think they've improved it. They've definitely listen. They've landed some guys that I think have immense talent. Tyler Brown, Evan Henry, um, Zach Bro. I think all three of those guys have great talent, great fundamentals. They have the mean streak that I think was really lacking for Jackson State last year. But the one, the, the biggest thing, Calvin, and I'll speak about this so much is. You have to build chemistry, man. You have to build chemistry. You have to be able to play together. And, yes, Evan Henry and Zach Bro played together, and so they'll probably have that chemistry. But when I look at the offensive line, the biggest needs were guard, center, guard. The tackle spot was inconsistent, but guard, center, guard was atrocious last year at times for Jackson State. And so for me, you put Zach Bro in at center. This is a guy that has already proven he can play center. That's where he's most comfortable. Put him at center. Evan Henry's going to be one guard. And then you got Tyler Brown at the other guard. And Tyler um, was on a um, Joe Moore Award finalist offensive line at Louisiana Lafayette. He knows what it takes to build a culture. And I had an interview with him. And you guys can check it out on the channel, um, Tyler Brown. But 
he spoke about he knows what it takes to build chemistry and he's coming in to be a leader on that offensive line. And so I think when you look at what they can do in terms of leadership, as long as the team buys into the vision that they're selling, I got a feeling, in my opinion, that the offensive line is going to take a big step forward. And really and truly they should, because in year two, under the same offensive line coach, you have to be able to build that chemistry. And at the tackle spot, I think Simi Mawala is probably going to be one. And then that other one's probably going to between probably going to be between Willis Patrick and some other guys um, that they landed this offseason. And listen, uh, let's see, Tony Gray. Listen, I will be shocked if Tony Gray starts unless he improved a lot. I'll just say that I don't know if Tony Gray is going to be a starter, but he's not going to start at guard center, guard center, guard spot. He would have to slide back out the tackle, and I don't know if Jackson State is going to do that. In my opinion. Let's see, Blue, who do you think is most likely to pull off an ups- FBS upset um, in the swag? Oh, man, Simi's gone. Oh, then I don't know who starts at the two tackle spots. That's tough. I didn't even know Simi left. Ah, wow. Yeah, okay. Then the tackle spots are a big concern for me. I will say this. The guard center guard spot might be the strength of the offensive line because I don't know who's going to start at those tackle spots now. I know Willis Patrick has some promising film, but listen, that is tough. The fact that Simi Moala already left, that is brutal. Oh, wow. Okay, the optimism for the offensive line went down a few notches. I'll be honest with you guys. That tackle spot, those tackle spots worry me now. Um, let's see. Blue, who do you think is most likely to pull off an FBS upset in the SWAC? Um, mm, okay, I'm trying to think of FBS games in the SWAC right now. I think mm, it's tough, man, because – You know, Jackson State doesn't play an FBS team. Southern plays LSU, and they're not beating LSU. Um, FAMU's not going to go out there in week zero and beat North Carolina on the road. Um, mm, You know, so Drizzy, the short answer is nobody, because I don't think this is the year for a SWAC upset over an FBS team. I really don't see it happening. I know a lot of people are talking about Grambling over Arkansas State, and if Grambling goes out there, game one of Hugh Jacks of the Hugh Jackson era with a new quarterback and like twelve new starters and beats an FBS team, the SWAC is in trouble. I'm just going to say that the SWAC is in trouble if they go out and do that. So I don't see that upset really happening right now. Maybe if it was year two or three under Hugh Jackson. A lot of people have been talking about North Texas, Texas Southern. I don't see that happening either, man, especially early in the season. I mean, potentially that could happen, but I, I I don't personally see it. I think you also – Alabama A&M, they got those two big games, UAB and Troy. UAB is going to be interesting. And let me say this. If they still had um, the coach that just retired, I'm blanking on his name, Bill Clark. If they still had Bill Clark, that's a blowout. Alabama A&M would have zero shot if Bill Clark was still the coach. But the fact that he left so unexpectedly – and that team has kind of experienced a little bit of turnover this offseason. That's a game that I think gets real interesting because I think Alabama A&M is going to bring a lot of fans to Birmingham. And I think that could be a game where Connell Maynard really wants to go out there and make a statement. It's week one. That could be interesting. Troy, potentially, but I think Troy is going to be a pretty solid Sunbelt team. But I think UAPB, because they lost Bill Clark, and that team could be in a little bit of a disarray, that could be a game you probably – 
could could watch, but for me, I, I, Jersey, I don't think it's this year. I think the best opportunity for the SWAC to win a, an FBS ups, you know, beat an FBS team next season when Jackson State goes and plays Texas State. I right now look at projecting the rosters. Jackson State should beat Texas State next season, and I think that will be the FBS upset that everyone's waiting on. That that's just my opinion right now is that next year will be the game that I think uh, next year will be the the year that the SWAC uh, finally gets that FBS win um, that, that you guys were, you know, that everyone wants to happen. So uh, that would be my pick. And I don't know who FAMU plays um, in terms of FBS uh, next season. Um, so po- possibly if, depending on who they play, if they can get, you know, like an FIU or an FAU or something like that. But uh, I, I personally can't see, Right now, FAMU over North Carolina at no chance, in my opinion. Listen, North North Dakota State should be a favorite over Arizona champ. I'm going to be honest that I will take North Dakota State seven and a half right now over Arizona. That's just me. Uh, what's the chances of Holy Cross and UT Chattanooga getting a first round by zero? Uh, Lawrence, I talked with this. Um, I was on Sam Herter's podcast, uh, um, FCS, um, FCS talkers. Uh, I forget what it's called. Uh, Holy Cross has zero chance. They're not going to give a bye week to a um, to a team out of the Patriot League. And UT Chattanooga it potentially, I think, has a better chance than Holy Cross. But I think the SoCon is going to be too good this year, and I don't see them going undefeated, which is what it would take for them to get a bye to to get a first round bye. I think when you look at the eight um, seeds right now that get bye weeks, Lawrence, I think six of them are already taken. In my opinion, I think no matter what happens, unless it's an epic collapse of cataclysmic proportions, man, or something like that, North Dakota State, South Dakota State, Montana State, Montana, Missouri State, Sacramento State all have one locked up. And I think Kennesaw potentially could be that seventh. So I, I don't know if there's going to be a lot of at-large bids. I mean, um, bi-week bids up there, that top eight seed, Lawrence. So I don't I, I don't think Holy Cross or Chattanooga get that seed. And it's a 0% chance for Holy Cross because they're not giving it to one at the um, uh, of a team in the Patriot League. Let's see. Texas State, <laughs> Alabama State came pretty close in 2019. A&M has a shot, especially with Clark retiring. I agree with that. Um, Kennesaw will go FBS very soon. Jabari, I think they're kind of buying their time as the landscape kind of um, shifts, but we'll see. I was planning on homecoming in uh, Southern. I got a call from my God. I'll just get married the same day as SU. Uh, nah, Fab, you ain't on FIU or FAU's level yet. Ah. Uh, FAU maybe not Leon. I'm, I don't love FIU. I'll I'll, I'll say that. And yeah, um, North Arizona smacked them last year. Coach them if I'm not mistaken. I mean, it wasn't even a close game. So uh, Arizona got better. I think they've they've they landed a pretty solid recruiting class. But I still think they they have a long way to go. Been trying to tell the Aggies North Dakota State will be a harder game than against Duke. That is a fact. Uh, I agree. I agree with that. Uh, CUSA uh, needs to get Kennesaw State. Yeah, the phone lines up. My bad, Larry. Ah, you you did call in and hang on. What's up, Larry? Man, you're live. What's up, sir? What's up, man? Uh, Chat. Can y'all hear him on the phone line? I just want to make sure before you know we keep going, man. Yeah, man. I I just want I just wanted to ask you in terms of the media day. 
Uh, so you went to the Swag Media Day. Did you go to the MEAC Media Day? Yeah, I went to the MEAC too. Okay. So Swag, to me, based on your earlier comments, bigger, disorganized. What about the MEAC? Were they just as big, more well-organized? And then of all the FCS media days that you saw, who was just better? In fact, rank them. Top five. <laughs> man, oh, man, you're going to get me in trouble on this one. Um, I, the media presence wasn't as much at, at the MEAC. They just didn't have – I mean, they had um, – I don't remember what it was called. It's HBCU something. I didn't see them at SWAC Media Day, though. But it's some HBCU station or whatever. There were a few news stations from Norfolk covering the Norfolk State. So I, I know you guys um, knew I didn't get an interview with the Norfolk State players because they were off for recording with news stations all day. So I didn't get a chance to get them. Um, the MEAC was smaller, man. But I think the MEAC was in a nicer location. Listen, man, Norfolk is beautiful, man. They had it in one of the nicest hotels in the city. And everything was organized. So, like, every coach had a table with, like, a nameplate. And next to them was a taller table, which I know y'all saw some of my interviews where they had a jersey and a helmet and everything. Um, so, the MEAC didn't have a big – and I've already said the SWAC had a four or five-time – you know more media presence than any other conference it wasn't even close it was swag and everybody else in terms of overall uh media now the ranking these listen i don't i don't listen i don't want to um i i don't want to burn any bridges it was their first ever media day the a sun was probably the least exciting and least i would say enjoyable for me because it was one their first ever media day two Got jacksonville it. state didn't even want to be there because they're leaving mm. and so jacksonville state can't compete for a conference title they can't compete for the playoffs so they did their like media session interviewed with like the local you know um alabama stations or whatever and they dipped okay and so that kind of <laughs> aggravated me. And also um, Coach Wells for Eastern Kentucky, I really wanted to talk to him. There was a seven-on-seven seven camp in Atlanta that he had to get to immediately after his interview. And so okay. a lot of the coaches and players were too busy with, like, the local media and everything to really, you know, talk to, you know, people like me and everything. So that that kind of – aggravated me but you know it was their first ever media day they're a new conference and i'll give them a break on that and shout out to brian morgan for the a sun man he did everything he could to kind of help you know the, the the fcs media but listen when when a whole team when, when one of your biggest teams don't even want to be there there's nothing you know there it's really hard to kind of get that together um but in terms of the other ones man they're hard to rank because they were all great man, in their own way like the southland amazingly yeah. organized the all the coaches and players and sids were super helpful and they were make mm. sure everybody in the media room got an interview everyone in the media got introduced and and everything like that and the setup was pretty cool the one thing i wish is that they had kind of like a media table where i could set up my laptop and things like that i was using like a, a waiter tray on a stand to like set everything <laughs> up and so i, I think um you know, I think they could have done a little better in the media room, but I, I think that was also me. That was my first ever media day, so it was a big learning experience for me for the Southland. The SoCon was amazing, man. Listen, I already said they mm -hmm. had it in Asheville, North Carolina, in the mountains, yeah. in, the, in the Appalachian Mountains, at some big, fancy resort. 
and it was beautiful. The, the location they had the same team tables as the um, MIAC did with jerseys and helmets and things like that, and, and all the SIDs and everyone were great uh, in terms of giving out their information and and allowing coaches and players. And also, the SOCOM might have been the most organized when the media walked in. They had a minute by minute schedule of where coaches and players are going to be at all times. Wow! And so it allowed you to kind of plan your day because it's like, okay, the Citadel, uh, Chattanooga, Furman, VMI are going to be off here. So I need to get interviews with Western Carolina, um, you know, uh, Mercer and whoever. Um, and so it allowed the media a lot more flexibility on how to get interviews. And all the coaches mm-hmm. were great in terms of, you know, talking to you and things like that. So SOCON was amazing. The problem is the SOCON didn't have a big media presence and they – you really have to step up their social media game. I know a lot of people yeah. on Twitter and YouTube and everything really rip the swack as a whole for social media presence. The SoCon ranked 28th out of 32 F, uh, out of 32 conferences, including some D2 conferences. Ouch, ouch, ouch. Yeah, so not great. And then in terms of some of the other media, swack was fine, man. Like I said, my biggest yeah. thing was how chaotic it was. But the problem was, is I don't think they had the staff there to organize it any better than they did. It was really just like a a dog eat dog world. Like if you wanted an interview, you had to fight for that interview, especially if you wanted a Jackson State interview. So I know you guys saw my (laughs) interview with Shador to get that interview with Shador. I had to pull one of the Jackson State guys to the side and say, listen, find me. Here's my name. Here's where you can find me before y'all leave. Come grab me and I will interview Shador Sanders. And so I got, I got Shador right as they were leaving. Got it. And let, let me uh, ask you, go ahead. One more question. It's a, it's a small one. I noticed that the big South is a smaller conference. And I think a uh, North Carolina A&T is leaving. Mm-hmm. Is it possible that they might work with the MEAC so that they could also, um, potentially have a uh, football team go to the Celebration Bowl and then the FCS playoffs? Uh, Potentially, but um, they already kind of had that with the OVC. So at the luncheon, the OVC commissioner was there, and they talked about the alliance that they're coming up with. So I think the Big South is doing that. It's just going to be with the OVC. Got it. Thank you. Yeah, and – uh, the OVC was remote, so you know that was over Zoom and everything. And, you know, it, it is what it is. The Big South was cool. Um, it had the same thing as the SWAC did. I don't know if um, you guys heard on the interview, like the Jacob Roberts interview was very hard in terms of listening to because of the audio, because everything was on top of each other. So at one end of the room, they had the stage recording, and then the other end, they had all the media in one little spot. So it was very hard to kind of get that personalized interview with good audio, good lighting, good, good things like that. And that's why you saw a lot of my interviews sitting at the team table, right up on the coach or, and or player, because that was the only way to get good interview. You there, man? Sorry, I was on mute. Oh, no, you're good. But, yeah, so overall, yeah. man, everyone was great. The ASUN had their issues, but it was kind of out of their control, in my opinion. 
All right. Hey, brother, thank you so much. Keep doing what you're doing. Hey, appreciate you, man. Let's see, man. Let me get to some of these. Hey, I appreciate you, man, Israel. Uh, that that was uh that, that was a tough one to get. Listen, and I still kick myself for not getting Dion, but I don't think you guys really understand how hard it was to try to get you know C- Coach Prime for for an interview, man. That next year we're going to get a Coach Prime interview one on one, but this year, man, I I had to kind of weigh my options. It was like, do I wait for like the whole day to try to get coach prom or do I go get the interviews I did and go meet SIDs and things like that. So kind of had to weigh my options, but we, we are going to, to get that addressed. Uh, the Travis interview already dropped, man. You can go to, um, you can, you can go to my page. Um, I is somewhere it, we, we posted like 50 something videos for media day. Uh, so you can go to our FCS media day playlist, man. And it's on there. It's, it's one of the, probably the first 10 videos on that playlist. Uh, let's see. Is it me? Man, Shador did look a little. Uh, he was taller in person than I thought he was. I will be honest. He uh, it, it really, a truly man. He he uh, he did look a little bit taller in person. Uh, I'm going to be honest because I'm six one, and you know, even to me, like, he was pretty tall. So maybe it was the shoes. Way way I was standing, he was standing. Man, he does look tall, but he carries himself, you know, like really good posture and everything. So maybe it's that too. Uh, great over shallow. I do agree. I think I've been vocal about this starlight. I do think Gregory great is better than shallow as a safety. In my opinion, great's potential is one of the highest in, in, in the swag. I, I think with his experience, with his talent, with his talented of a, with, with as talented as the secondary as he's going to be playing with, especially at the corner spots, I think Great has the potential to be one of the top safeties in the SWAC. And so it's not a dig at Shiloh, but to me, I personally think that Gregory Great is a little bit better and should get that starting spot. I, th- I think him and um, I think Great and uh, Cam should be the two starting safeties, in my opinion, for Jackson State. Let's see. Yes, great. Great is going to be a really, really good, man. Uh, let me see. There was a few other comments, man. I wanted to. Uh, yeah, the OVC partnership, communicating with sports information directors is important. It's like media day. Yeah, that was the biggest thing, man. Networking at the um, media days was really and truly the the biggest thing for me. It wasn't even the interviews. It wasn't even the traveling. It was just being able to go introduce myself and being like, listen, all those, because the sports information directors all knew who I was because I emailed them our All-American, our All-Conference, our Top 25. So like, just to kind of give you all a perspective of how it all went, Every single time I dropped an all-conference team, an all-American team, or a top 25, I emailed every single SID for every single school that had a player making all-American and all-conference or a team that was on our top 25. I sent them a personalized email letting them know which players and where they were ranked and things like that. So they all knew who I was, but it was really good to kind of, you know, uh, be able to introduce myself. You had Coach Pugh impressed, man. Hey, I appreciate, man. Coach Pugh was really cool to talk to, man. That I was ner- That was one of the interviews I felt like I was nervous for, just because of the aura of him. But for me, man, I was really, really excited to talk to him, man. He was so down to earth in that interview, man. And so I, I appreciate Coach Pugh, uh, Jablonski Green, and Corey Phillips, man. Those guys were, um, those guys were great. Uh, I'm going to be honest with you, man. I, it was really fun talking to them. 
Wait, SWAC is not all HBCUs in the FPS. Wait up, uh, Russell, what what you talking about? Uh, yeah, I don't know what you. Uh, yeah, we got the MIAC too, man. We we got the MIAC. Um, let's see, Shallow is not seeing that spot after injury. What you know about New Haven going to the MIAC? I haven't heard anything about that, uh, Coach Green. I'm going to be honest with you. Um, I have not heard anything. I mean, I have to do some research on New Haven. I'm not familiar with, you know, their athletic programs, their budget, um, anything like that. So. Uh, I, I I don't know, Coach Green. I'm gonna be honest. I'll do some research though in next live stream, and if you want to bring it back up, we can definitely talk about it. Uh, let's see. We need to move Nugget to safety. To be honest, uh, Coach Pugh got the average James Aura. Uh, let's see. Doing a weekly playoff prediction ballot. Um. Uh, so Lawrence, my plan is, and I know um, I, I, Sean asked about this in the comments when I announced that I was voting. Each week, you guys, are, I'm going to release my top 25 on the website and probably do a, you know, do it live on my weekly recap. So things are really changing this season, guys, compared to last season. My game previews are still there, but I am going to go live on Wednesday, Thursday, Friday night, somewhere in there, maybe twice a week to really preview some of these games and get your guys' opinions. That way you guys can bring me the games you guys want to hear. We can break them down together. It'll be a call-in show. I'll have film ready everything like that. We're going to do a big this year for uh, the season. And then on Sunday nights, maybe Monday, depending on, you know, because I got a lot of games I'm going to travel to. We're going to do a live stream, recap everything. And on that, I will give my top 25 that I submit officially to FCS uh, stats uh, perform. But then about week, probably nine or 10, Lawrence, I'll probably start dropping my weekly playoff prediction bracket on who I think, you know, makes the playoffs. I'll have um, at large bids. I'll have on the bubble. First four in, first four out, all everything like that. So um, I, I'll definitely be doing all that, Lawrence. So stay tuned for that. We're going to have a whole rollout for that on the website and the channel. So do you think that Tennessee State and or South Carolina State will come to the SWAC? Probably not right now, uh, Gabriel. I think there's probably a better chance Tennessee State does. I think as long as the MEAC is up and kicking, South Carolina State is going to stay right where they are. Tennessee State potentially if the OVC collapses, but I wouldn't you know, bank on it right now. I think the SWAC and MEAC and OVC are probably good where they are right now. So I don't think that's coming down the pipeline. Maybe in a few years, though, as things shift. What do you think uh, South Carolina State would have more All-Americans? Um, no, Paris, because I don't think the MEAC perception in terms of national FCS is really high. I think uh, they had one All-American on our list, and I don't know if they – I think maybe Jablonski Green was on FCS stats, if I'm not mistaken. I don't know about Hero Sports um, off the top of my head, but really and truly they had a bunch of all-conference selections, but the problem is – I, I think there's a lot of people in terms of national FCS media that want to see them do it out of conference. And so I think uh, South Carolina State's going to be just fine. I think Jablonski Green has a good chance to be an All-American at the end of the year. B.J. Davis, at uh, linebacker. I think um, the wide receiver, Shaq Davis, who is already an All-American for us, I think has a really good chance to make that run. I also think um, the running back, I'm blanking on his name, the running back for South Carolina State could be really good as well. So and we'll see what develops in the secondary for them. Uh, Jamonski Green, the next NFL draftee coming out of South Carolina State. I agree with that. Uh, Tennessee State ranked fourth. I forgot to pull the OVC up, but yeah, Tennessee State was fourth T. Um, Blue has gone full professional media outlet, man. I appreciate you, man. 
uh, which SWAT school is talking about leaving. Um, I don't think um, I don't think any um, are talking about leaving right now. If I, if I'm not mistaken, um, uh, I, at least I don't know. I don't think any SWAT schools are going to talk about leaving, man. But the uh, let me open back up the call line. Man. I was going to wrap it up, but Calvin, if you want to call in, I'll open it back up real quick for you. Um, you are the only participant in the conference. Yeah, so if you want to call in, man, we'll give it just a few more minutes, man, and then uh, we're going to wrap this up. But I don't think anybody's talking about leaving, Calvin. Call the numbers in the top, though. Uh, let's see right here. Tennessee State, South Carolina, they're not coming to the SWAC. Uh, do you see the MEAC having one team in the playoffs? No, probably not, Coach Green. It would take – oh, I mean, maybe, okay. I th- it would have to be a situation like FAMU and Jackson State last year, I-, I think. I think when you look at it, it would have to be a situation where South Carolina State or or uh, NCCU, I think those are probably the two teams that um, potentially could happen. So we got two callers. There's Coach, Coach Green and Calvin. Man, Calvin, I'll get to you first, and then Coach Green, I'm coming to you. What's up, Calvin? You're live. Hey, what's going on, Blue? What's up, man? Hey, quick question. Like, I remember on another live chat, uh, you said if Dion takes Jackson State to the FBS, there were like two sweat schools that could potentially leave us. Now, mm-hmm. I don't know, you didn't ever give them, but the only two schools I can think about is um, Texas schools. Uh, I think if, if Jackson State made the move, and we're talking about because they can't, I don't think they're going to be able to make the move at least for another three years. I think if they're thinking about making the move, they're going to do what they can to prepare at least two other schools to go, whether that's FAMU, whether it, even if it's Tennessee State and the OVC, even if it's Southern, they're going to get one of those natural rivals for them to come with them. And so I, I think when you're looking, talking about leaving, you're looking at, at at least three to possibly even six, seven years down the line. And if Jackson State's preparing to make that move, they've talked to other teams and they're going to prepare to make it with them. I, I just don't foresee Jackson State making the jump without another SWAT school following them. Oh, I agree with that. I think you see it that uh, the two Texas schools might be going to the Southland. Oh yeah. Oh, okay. You're talking about that. Yes. Um, I, listen, the Southland commissioner was was very vocal that Grambling was strongly considering Ooh. coming to the Southland. I didn't see that coming. I thought it was going to take further to bear. He, what I was told is they denied it for pu- publicity, you know, standards, but there was real interest between both the Texas schools and Grambling. All right. Um, a couple other questions. About I know you can wrap this up. Um, I didn't watch that incarnate word pair of your game last year, mm-hmm. um, but I did look at the score. I just browsed. I looked at the stats, and it wasn't that impressive for my camera award. Did you watch yeah. that game? I, I watched the, at least the highlights of it, and – I thought Pete, I thought they did a good job of shutting down the offense, but man, they just kept shooting themselves in the foot. Man, the fact that they kept the defense on the field that long really hurt them, and they just gave up too many explosive plays, in my opinion. Yeah, that's what I was looking. I looked at the stats. I'm probably gonna rewatch it. it it's I'm an interesting game. 
Um, and speaking of film, I was watching a lot of J- I mean, I'm a Jack State fan all day. Uh, so I watched a lot of film. I was just focused on an offensive line last year. Um, it's hard to see techniques from the game film. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Um, but I can see schemes and like Mr. Simons and that guard, center guard combination. It's just horrible, like especially on twist. Like, the, it, you know, like they couldn't find the guy. Any stunts kill Jackson State. There was yeah. no communication. If you, if you twisted, if you slanted anything, everyone was just like, "We're gonna block right what's in front of us," and that's it. If you if you move from that spot, you were getting destroyed. And I think you saw yeah. that with um, like- in the celebration bowl. Everyone blames turnovers, but those turnovers are due to the offensive line. Tony Gray got destroyed on that play, and that's what got Shador hit, and that's what caused the fumble that changed the entire game. Tony Gray, the other the, the right tackle. Well, Cedric Dunbar was playing right tackle, but he was a center. He was like an all-conference center mm-hmm. before COVID. Like, um, I think he might have been out of position. I think so. I think like, what happened is – they they weren't expecting the offensive line to be as bad as it was. And so they kind of panicked moving people around, trying to find what worked chemistry-wise, and they just never seemed to find it. Yeah. Now, how long does it take to develop chemistry and offensive line? Say, say that again? How long does it take chemistry to develop an offensive line? I think it depends on every unit because – and every unit, you have a certain number of returning guys, and you have a certain number of experience for certain offensive line guys. So when you look at Jackson State coming into this year, you have three guys on the interior that have a lot of experience and two guys that have played with each other. So I really do think they could probably build up that chemistry by game two or game t- or game three. And what helps them is they have a big challenges. I think they probably are going to face probably – three of the top four defensive lines in, in weeks one through three. They get FAMU, you got Gentle Hunt, Isaiah Land. Week two, you get Tennessee State. They have three, four all-conference selections on the defensive line. And then week three, you got to go face, in, uh, Sund- I believe it's Sundaya Anderson for Grambling on the defensive end, yeah. who's, an, who's a first-team all-conference selection. You're going to get tested early, yeah. and so I think it's going to help them build that chemistry extremely, extremely fast because they're so experienced. Well, I, I mean, I'm agreeing for one thing. I, the tenacity wasn't there. I agree. Um, communication wasn't there. Um and I'm trying to pin. Like, I was trying to look back at the offensive line coach, and I was trying to pull back and see what he did other places. I mean, the way I grade people is what they, how they did other places, other stops. He um, has a. I mean, pretty, he was an old miss. Yeah, he's good. Usually, um, his history would suggest that Jackson State's offensive line would be good. Like he, he's a pretty good offensive line coach in his previous stops is just last year man they, they didn't click very well well we'll see um what's going on in AM? I like smashing them um you know in terms of AM, it's like I said earlier it's all about that defense in my opinion I think Quincy Casey's 
locked down the quarterback spot, especially due to Jaron Williams stepping away. Abdul is one of the best wide receivers in the FCS. The offensive line is going to be a big – they got to have um, some sort of improvement, man. I think when you look at that Jackson State game, Akil was, was on his deathbed at times. They were getting destroyed. And so – the offensive line has to get better, but it's all about that defensive chemistry, like I mentioned. When when you might have eleven new starters on the defense, man, that's that's tough. And so, like I said, it can go one of two ways: either they click, and you've had a bunch of upgrades, and your defense takes a, a big step forward, like it did with Jackson State, or that it doesn't click, and you could be in for a long season if that defense doesn't build chemistry and all those players live up to the hype that they had coming in. There's like two very important positions on defense. You need your free safety and your mic. That's a fact. And, uh, fact. Um, they got to be vocal. Uh, you do. Like I mean, charge of getting everybody in the right position. They didn't communicate at all last year. Like I mentioned, when players go in motion and the defense doesn't say anything, doesn't move, doesn't adjust, that's on the Mike linebacker. He's the quarterback of the defense, and no one called anything. There wasn't a motion. There wasn't a call for that. They just let Josh Lanier run across the formation and score a touchdown. Yeah. Um, a couple last questions. I'm going to wrap this up. I know you're trying to get off. I know you're um, good, man. Non-conference. None, none Games you're looking forward to? Um, Stephen F. Austin Alcorn is the first one that comes to mind. I'm extremely excited for that one. KJ Kinsler versus Xavier Gibson. I think Xavier Gibson is without a doubt, no argument. I'll debate it all day. Is the best wide receiver in the FCS, and in my opinion, that's going to be a great stylistic matchup. You have a high flying offense against a, a, a run first type team like Alcorn on the road. I think Mormon's going to show out, especially because this week one, we'll see how that turns out. Valley and Tarleton state is another interesting one. Valley <laughs> travels to Tarleton. I believe it's week one or two. And Tarleton has a new quarterback has a few holes on that defense that they have to fill. If, if Dancy can go out there and win that game, I will be extremely, extremely impressed with Valley, and that will be a rude awakening for the SWAT because Tarleton State's not going to be a pushover. And then I think the obvious one, man, Campbell and Jackson State, man, with the recruiting classes, with how good those teams potentially could be, that could be one of the games of the year, man, especially on top of it, the environment with homecoming and everything. I love it. I'm excited for that game. If Campbell can come into that game, with one or with one or fewer losses, I'm, I think that game could potentially be a game that the entire country is invested in. Well, well, I got, I lied. I got three questions. Um, <laughs> one, I was looking at that Alabama A and M versus Austin P game. Mm-hmm. Uh, Austin P, they were a solid um, OBC team. I think A&M should come out on top. What's your opinion on that? A&M should be the favorite. I think when you look at Austin P, you know, Dre McCray at the wide receiver spot is going to be a problem, but they lost, I believe, their starting quarterback in Draylon Ellis, who went to Tennessee State. You also, I believe they lost their starting running back. They lost, a, um, I, I per- personally believe they lost 
a few offensive linemen. I'll have to double-check that defensive line wrecked by the transfer portal. The secondary is going to be strong for them. But going into Huntsville with a young team, with, with, a, with a young coach of Scotty Walden, I think A&M should be the favorite. And if they lose that game, that, that, could, that could be really, really tough for A&M because those first four games, UAB, Troy, Austin P, and FAMU, it, let's say they come in 0-2, that Austin P game is a must win because you cannot go into Tallahassee and brag 0-3. I agree. That's any chance of postseason is just canceled after that. I agree. I, they could be uh, in trouble. And that's not even including you still got Jackson State on the schedule. And then Grambling. Yeah, it's going to be a problem. I mean, it, it could end up really bad for a and um, That's a must win. I agree. That's a must win. Um, well, last question. I let you go. Uh, hot seats in the swag. Um, I think Terry Sims at Bethune. I got. Yep. Yeah. That would be a big one, and um, uh, Clarence McKinney, man, as well. Um, at Texas Southern, if Andrew Body has a big year and they still don't win, I think that Texas Southern administration is going to say. How how do we keep Andrew here? If he explodes and that defense doesn't live up to the hype, do they try to go and get out a big time coach to entice him to stay? And because they 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 might see their window to go win the SWAC closing as Andrew Body gets older. So if he has a big season and Clarence McKinney has to go to make way for Andrew Body to live up to the hype, that's going to be a big one to watch. And then I think Doc Gamble at UAPB. I know he just went to the SWAC <laughs> championship. Um, in the spring, but if he has another season like he did last year, man, I, I would be very surprised if UAPB didn't try to make a move. That has got to be the most inconsistent program I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> Swag championship game, the worst, and next year they're probably going to be somewhere in the middle. Yeah. Well, I ain't going to hold you blue. I appreciate you, man. I know. All right, guys, I'm going to take Coach Green's call, and then we're going to wrap it up. Coach Green, you, you're live. You're shutting down the show, man. What you doing? Oh man, you know, you know me, man. <laughs> so how you doing, man? Hey, doing good, man. Doing good. Trying to get back in the flow of things, man, after traveling. Man, you was doing some traveling, bro. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I got some, I got one thing I'm to disagree with you on. Okay. And it's not often I disagree with you. The Grambling leaving swag. The only way I saw that happening, they are not going to move without Southern. Potentially, okay, because because if if you go to the Southland, let's just say this: they they have however many teams in that conference. The Bayou Classic could stay. Like that 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 might not be affected, and so. Really and truly, I mean, yes, they probably don't move without Southern, but all I know is it was the Texas schools in Grambling, and they did have interest. Now, I don't know if Southern did or had any talks or the Southland reached out. I didn't get to ask him that question, but he said there was real interest on those teams potentially leaving until Dion landed down in the swag. Yeah, I understand that part, but, you know, because of the people I know at at Southern, they they are like how UCLA and 
USC. USC. They, they, that's how they are joined at the hip. I mean, it, it's potential. Yeah. I, I, and, and he could have been talking about the Texas schools probably were more in the boat than Grambling, and they were just trying to convince Grambling. But the, the word on the street around the building was is that if Jackson State or whoever decide to take their chances at the FBS level, that those schools would join the Southland and dip out of the swag. Yeah, because because now this now this 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 is what I do know because uh, Doctor Kavir talked about it. Southland actually was trying to convince Southern to come to the Southland. Yeah, I knew that. So that's why that's why they was going after Grammar because, like you said, Grammar probably was listening. And Grammar probably relate to him on the way on the way we'll move if y'all can convince Southern. You know, I, I think that would be an interesting in so before but before Coach Prom landed down, that move would have been extremely interesting because now you're looking at the Southland with a really stronghold on Texas, man. They would have mm-hmm. some major major markets in texas and some recruiting ties so i i mean the move makes sense for the southland but i think a lot of people would look at it sideways especially for me coming from an outsider Mm -hmm. perspective of how much flack tennessee state and um north carolina a&t get i would really be interested to see if one of the "Quote unquote blue blood programs in Grambling, or one of the SWAC founding members in one of the Texas schools dipped out. What the what the pushback or what the um, response would be from longtime SWAC fans? Mm-hmm. And you know what? I, this it, I know people talk about it little, but other than Dion, another thing that helped the SWAC was when they got Bethune Cookman and FAMU. Yeah. That's a fact. No, because all all that get glossed over because Sanders came came to the sweat, but that was big and very important. It it brought in a lot of money and attention and some two in two big brands, especially in FAMU. FAMU is a huge brand, you know, nationally. So I think I really, I, you know, looking back now that hindsight's twenty twenty, how much did the the under the table talks of these other schools potentially leaving the SWAC, push the SWAC to make that move for FAMU and Bethune-Cookman. <laughs> You're right about that. Looking back now, it, 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 would, it makes a little bit more sense, doesn't it? It does. It does. Because you can't lose the Texas schools. If you're the SWAC, that, 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 I mean, I know right now they might not be at the top of the SWAC, but those schools are still important to the – the foundation of the conference, in my opinion, mm-hmm. because it did help, like you said, it brought in more money and potentially whatever new media deal they make will be substantial, especially if they have a good football year as a conference. Exactly. I, so that's a big thing, and I, I mean, it, it makes you think that what is the SWAC's perception? Because of all this realignment talk, and we, we know any Jackson State or FAMU or Southern or whoever moving up is, is a long-term conversation. It's not going to happen tomorrow. It's going to be mm-hmm. some years down the line. 
the question becomes is how panicked does the SWAC become if those schools actually begin to look at that move as a real possibility? Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of moving pieces. Everything will come off with this NCAA meeting going to be after this NCAA meeting. I agree. And once once that settles, I think the debt, the dust at the NCAA, the administration level, that has to settle, while also all the dust at the FBS level has to settle. And then I think the next round of FCS schools are going to make their move because what we've seen is a lot of these big moves happen in big waves. And so I think a lot mm-hmm. of p- schools, programs, you look at like the Kennesaw States, Eastern Kentuckys, et cetera, they're really waiting to make their next move until they know what the landscape looks like. Because the worst thing you can do right now is make a make a jump and then all of a sudden it, the bottom falls out on you. And you end up having to come back, wasting a bunch of money. So I think a lot of schools are kind of slow playing their decisions. And once that dust settles, you're going to see all kind of different cards fall. Oh, and here's another interesting nugget. You know how the CAA talk about going into, talking about having a championship game and going and splitting the conference, right? Yeah. Is that potential talk of moving the playoffs back with them doing that? Potentially, but I doubt it. What I think would happen is that the CAA would shift their conference schedule to allow them to have the conference championship game before the first round of the playoffs. That would probably be more likely, in my opinion. I put it all on the team. So that was interesting. That I, I didn't expect them to talk about doing a conference championship. I don't think they will unless they have another round of additions. I think – when you look at what the CAA wants to do, they're going to go after Howard in 2023. I'm talking about they are going to throw the book at Howard. I think they're going to – if Campbell wins the Big South, they become extremely interesting in the future of realignment because with the way they're recruiting, with what Mike Minter and that staff are doing, Campbell could potentially be the next team to look to make that jump. And then you even have to look at the rest of the MEAC teams as well. What is the NEC going to do with Morgan State? In uh, Delaware State. So right now, man, I don't think realignment's over, but the CAA, in my opinion, won't make a push like that to potentially, you know, mess with the playoffs until they add another team or two. And I think that might be coming next all season in 2023. Hey, and this is something that might be interesting too. I don't, I think it's a long shot, but I won't be surprised because where camera located at, mm-hmm. me actually trying to make a play for them. Oh, man, I just – I think you would get too much pushback that you're adding a non-HBCU. I, th- I think the pushback would be deafening if they added Campbell rather than trying to, you know, maybe pull in Tennessee State or someone like that. If they go and add a PWI, man, do you already do you, you Coach Green? You're on Twitter and you're, you're in all yeah. the swag spaces. All the all the flack that A and T and Tennessee State get. What do you think happens if the MEAC adds a PWI? Hey, I, I, I agree with you. But what made me think that was when the MEAC commissioner was doing an interview with uh, Dr. Kavir, Kavir mm-hmm. uh, mentioned about, that's why I asked you about New Haven. Because mm-hmm. she brought, you know, Kavir brought that up. So that's out there. Uh, potentially. And I mean, there's like this weird confusion too. Listen, we got to get recruits 
to understand what like the school they're committing to what it is like i mm-hmm. saw a kid who committed to campbell say it was the hbcu wave <laughs> yeah and tag travis hunter and said that like you started this and i'm like i don't i don't think i i, I don't know if you understand but uh, i was like anyway uh maybe i think it, geographically it would make sense and it would be a huge addition yep. for the MEAC. but i think outside of just football talk i wonder mm-hmm. if you know the 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 whole cultural impact of the conference and everything i i just Personally, I, I just don't see it happening, even though for me as a football guy, I wouldn't mind it happening. Yeah, because, you know, because it's also interesting, you know, because I was looking at their schedule. When I looked at Campbell's schedule, I was surprised they was playing more than one HBCU. And the players are, like, love it for Campbell. They Listen, it's popular right now. It's hot. When you look at in terms of FCS programs, it's Jackson State and Campbell. Nobody's hotter. Mm-hmm. And um, this, this is the only reason I say that it's, it's a, even though it's like it's, it's a long shot, I don't believe it, you don't believe it. The CIAA has that. I don't know if it's – I think it's the CIAA. They have that one – School out of North Carolina that's in a conference that's a BWI. Yeah, um, it's a uh, oh my god, what's what's it called? There is a BWI. It start with a C, huh? It start with a C. Yeah, I know. Oh, it's a uh, is it Chowan? Is that how you say it? Yeah, yeah, I they, think that's yeah, how you say it. because there was a kid um who played at the Legacy Bowl and there was like a big pushback that. Technically, he shouldn't be in the HBCU Legacy Bowl because he didn't play at HBCU, but he played in the HBCU conference. So there was like a weird distinction there. Yeah, yeah. I, so, but uh, there's so uh, Mr. Campbell posted in the chat that he said he thinks it's um, different if a PWI came to the MEAC. He thinks they'd be welcome. That's interesting. Shoot, hey. Mr. Cameron, you need to call in. I need to hear more from so we can hear from you, man, before the uh, blue hang it up. Hey, man, I appreciate it, man. I got two callers on the line, Coach Green, man. I'm going to get to them real quick, but I appreciate you calling in. All right. Oh, no problem. The one and only man, Scotty, you live. What's good, Blue? What's good, man? Nothing chilling, man. Hey, um... Oh, let me let me. Uh, so my, I want to get back to the the head coaches. Mm-hmm. Am I echoing on your side? No, you're good. You're good on my end. All right, so it sounds like I'm echoing. But I want to get back to the head coaches, Jane. I don't think Terry Sims deserves to be on on the on the chopping block, and okay. this is why because um, I talked to somebody earlier today, and they kind of put it in perspective for me. You know, they didn't play football for two years, no spring ball. The coaches were on furlough, you know what I'm saying, until like the beginning of the season. And then, you know, they, they had a 10-year 10, 10 winning streak over Sam, and Sam finally beat him with his worst team possible. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? So I think he I think he definitely should get a break on that. But, no, who? He needs to be on the hot seat. <laughs> Clarence Oh, agree. yeah. Tech Southern? Oh, yeah. Mess up another year with Andrew Body. see what happens. I need you to go. That was Got my biggest go. thing. Yeah, like if if you have Andrew Body, and let, let, let's say just hypothetically, he goes and wins SWAC Offensive Player of the Year. Like he puts up 
2,800 passing yards, has 1,000 rushing, whatever. If they don't finish above fourth in the division, you got to make a change because you can't risk yeah, losing yeah. Andrew. Because, listen, he, he'll be too hot, he, especially in the FCS portal, you okay. know, if he just wants to stay in the, in the FCS, and especially if he wants to stay in the SWAC, pretty much any school in the would, would take him. But you definitely probably have a possibility of losing him to Power 5, especially if you're talking about keeping him in Texas, which could be Rice, which could be, you know, Sam Houston. It could be any of those programs that want to keep him in the, in the, uh, in the vicinity because that's where his family's from. That's a big But Clarence thing. McKinley has to be – he has to be on the hot seat with this dude. You, you, can't, you can't let a talent like that uh, not take you, you know, third place, you know, second place in the West or something like that, especially when you probably have the only quarterback that get in the West. I just – for me, man, it's too, it's too much talent on that team, especially on offense. The offensive line's going to be good. You got wide receivers. You have an all all conference running back from last year. You got Andrew, who's an all conference preseason selection, and that defense should not be that bad. They got solid cornerbacks. Their linebacker, they have an all conference linebacker. The defensive line is a question mark. Tyler Martinez at the defensive tackle spot is solid, but man, like they should not be giving up 500 yards a game. If they do, everyone's got to go. Everybody. Because <laughs> I mean, Scotty, Scotty, they were giving up like forty points per game last year. That's ridiculous, ridiculous. And you know, a lot of their talent uh, are home based. A lot of the kids are coming from Texas. I know they got some transfers in, but I I totally agree with you. But that that's the guy I definitely and I, and I heard you say Doc Gamble as well. Mm-hmm. I don't know if people expect UAPB to win. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, you just want some stability. Uh, and, possibly. You know, possibly. UAPB, they, they're bad for 10 years. They come out of nowhere for a year. They do well. Then they go back into hiding. So, I, I, you can't really put that too much on the coach. I would give them a couple more years. Give them, like, uh, two more. If, if you can't get over four, yeah, yeah, division, you got to go there. You know, it's just like, hey, you know. It's 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 not really anything you can do with UAPB. It's just like, hey, with UAPB. <laughs> That's fair. That is fair. So I'm just looking at it, man. With the conference as a whole, I think you saw this with, you know, I'm not making any comparisons before people quote this and chop it up and make it sound crazy. It's similar to what happened in the SEC with Nick Saban when he came in. The recruiting picked up. They started running through the SEC. If Jackson State goes through and runs through the SWAC again, I'm talking about another undefeated season, they complete that Celebration Bowl win, I really do think there's going to be some guys who potentially wouldn't be on the hot seat that are suddenly on it just because those schools don't want to get left behind. I'll tell you I'll tell you somebody that I felt that if they got the opportunity, would do big things, and it's Coach Dancy. I think that's a coach that you definitely have to look at. Like if I'm at a P, if I'm a PV, and I don't like Bubba, you know what I'm saying? I'll go get a Dancy. Yeah. If um, I you know I would have said Alabama State, but they got that dude from their alum. You know, I I just think he needs that elevation. That's probably the only coach I would really recycle within the within the swag. But if I'm Texas Southern and I let Clarence McKinley go. I gotta go give me a name. Mm-hmm. I got. I gotta give me a Kevin Sumlin. I gotta give me somebody. But the worry is this: 
if I'm if I'm Texas Southern, I'm telling Kevin Sumlin, you got to keep Andrew. I agree. That, that's non-negotiable. That's a not. You're like, if you can't come in here and he's not the starter, what we what we doing? A, a thousand percent. Because you can't. It's the same thing. Like if let, let's say Ohio State's coach left, whoever you hire, that you uh, Stroud is a starter. Non-negotiable. Yeah. Don't bring in your guy. Don't bring any former players. It's CJ Stroud, or you ain't getting the job. That's it. Facts. If you can't, yeah, if you can't agree to that, we ain't we ain't even well, talking. And I don't know, give a you, damn what coach you you got on the stuff. It's like, bro, if if you're not rocking with Andrew Body, then you just ain't the job for you. Exactly. You and also, so. and also with that, with Dancy, I got to ask you, how do you feel about him taking the fellowship? The um, he was selected to coach the Jaguars um throughout training camp. Isn't that going to be the same time doing yes. your doing your that, like that doesn't that, make any sense to me. That's why I was asking you because I, I talked about it earlier. I don't know how that's going to work because he's going to have to miss Valley's training camp to go coach at the Jaguars. Um, first of all, <laughs> I'm taking any opportunity that goes to the NFL. That's <laughs> just, that just is what it is. <laughs> I don't give – it's Valley, okay? It's Valley. Let's be real. It's Valley. But it is a slight on to the players because it's like, like damn, he's going to leave us hanging like that? You know what I'm saying? Because a lot of these fellowships happened after the season was over. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like OTAs and rookie mini camps and type of stuff like that. But that's how KJ Black got his opportunity with the Rams. Yeah. So, you know, these opportunities could co- possibly come with a job in the Jaguar staff. That that ain't too hard to jump on. You know what I'm saying? No. Let's be real. It, so, I think it's a great opportunity. I would never tell nobody to take it. But if I was a Valley player, I would be like, damn, like, how are we supposed to do something without a head coach? Right. And on top of that, but what was weird is because I, I knew a little bit about Dancy's background and he's a defensive coach. He was a D coordinator. He he coached, I believe it was secondary. They have a, in, like I would say in the fellowship that he's coaching running backs. Why isn't he on the defensive side of the ball? Hey man, listen, blue, you got to get in where you fit in, bro. Hey, fair enough. You got to get That's- in where you fit in. It just, you know, in that opportunity, they could be like, hey, Scott, I need you to teach old linemen. You don't think I'd be learning how to kick step and <laughs> kick that leg? <laughs> Fair enough. But maybe I it's like some. I've never coached the old linemen in my life. I'll be on YouTube all night. Oh, that's how you punch. It's like some weird reverse thing. Like he coached defense. So, like, maybe he knows how to scheme against running backs and can, like, flip it to develop the running backs. But also. Listen, he gets to go coach Travis Etienne, James Robinson, some of the top young backs in the NFL. I love the opportunity for him, but I do feel bad for Caleb Johnson and some of those Valley players because now do you just promote the assistant head coach to head coach for training camp or do you try to work it around? I don't know how that's going to work, and I don't think Valley said anything about it, so I'll be interested to see how that works. And, you know, the biggest, if I'm being honest, the biggest loss is, is Willie Titan. Because mm-hmm. he dips on you, because that would have been your associate head coach right there, and he's been around the program for so long. It would, it really wouldn't have felt like somebody was leaving. Right. You see what I'm saying? It would have been like a kind of like a, a left seat, right seat type of feel. But with him gone, then, and also with um, you know Dancy dipping, I think I'm assuming Coach Ken Evans becomes the the uh, the associate head coach. But yeah. you know, if you have a staffing issue and you know, you already don't have enough coaches on staff, and now you're losing one. And it, I, I just think it, it it becomes a headache, man. And but I'm, I still think that's a, uh, 
that's an opportunity you can't pass up. I agree. That's what that's what this comment said. He said Valley ain't gonna block that man's opportunity. That's a once in a lifetime opportunity. You know what I'm saying? You can't. Yeah, you you don't you don't say no to the NFL, especially if that, that's your aspiration. It you couldn't happen because... to a better coach. I'm so happy for him, and I'm hoping that turns into a real opportunity. As much as I don't want to see him leave the swag, if he gets a job in the NFL, man, there is not a better guy to to make that jump. Absolutely. I mean, I mean, he's a he. I mean, that's not a bad word you will ever hear one of his players talk about him. They absolutely love the mindset that Dancy has and what he brings to that team. Um, and I, if I'm if, and if knowing Dancy through his players, he probably gave one hell of a speech before he did. Facts. You know what I'm saying? Like, just because I'm gone doesn't change the fact that we come to work every. You know what I'm saying? Like one of those type of inspiration speeches. Yeah, man, you can already so. tell. He, he was so motivated by being voted last, man. I, I, even in Jacksonville, they probably got him on one of those, like, Zoom scooter things, and he's probably watching practice <laughs> anyway. And I, in, it, with, with technology moving, at least he could probably still watch film at night. He can talk to his team over Zoom in between, you know, training sessions at, the, at, at Jacksonville. Absolutely. So with COVID advancing so many technological, I would say conference calls and things like that. I still think he's going to be very hands-on with what's going on at Valley, even though we can't be there in person. I, I that, That's a good point, but I didn't even think about it like that. He could still be impactful, you know, not even there because shoot, the whole world had to shut down and, and fortune 500 yeah. companies are still running. So exactly. I think a team kid suffice for what three weeks. Yeah. I, I think it's three weeks or something like that, which, I mean, we'll see how it goes, man, because I, I feel like with K.J. Black getting that opportunity, and and, and I, I really feel like he's going to do his thing over there in L.A. If Dancy gets this opportunity, takes it, and does great things, I'm, it, me and you have talked about this. Coaching trees and connections mean so much. If this fellowship – can develop a SWAC or HBCU, even even some MEAC coaches, getting more opportunities in this fellowship, I think that is great for the SWAC. Even though you're losing some of your top coaching talent, I think it will entice more coaching talent outside of the SWAC and MEAC to come coach in these conferences because of that connection and because of that success. That That is dope. That, I mean, to have a pipeline because you – it's no different. If everybody says they want a voice in the room, it could be no better than somebody who was coaching Black and me, I think. You know what I'm saying? That's to have a, a voice in the room for draft day, have a voice in the room for undrafted free agents. You know what I'm saying? So, you know, I, when I talked to Coach KJ, he said, you know, uh, L.A. wanted Marquise Bell really bad. Yeah. But Dallas just dropped the bag. You know what I'm saying? So when you have, when you have those guys in those type of rooms, you get, you get, you see more HBCU players get, you know, uh, uh, come up the ranks and come to, come to the NFL ranks. Yeah, and I think it's no someone, different than what they say. Go ahead. Uh, TC Taylor was selected last year too. I forgot about that. Yeah. So, you know, just just more and more opportunities. And um, talking to Coach KJ Black, he said he said he he's learned so much at his time at the fellowship, and then now his time at, with LA. I mean, he's just like he's just a sponge soaking it all up and and being around Sean McVay, you know, 24-7 is a blessing. But I want to say something before I go. I talked to somebody who saw Alabama State's practice, mm-hmm. and they said your boy Demetrius Davis was doing a lot of one-hoppers. 
Oh man, I, I'm sad now. If he comes oh, out amazing. and looks bad, I'm gonna have to delete the whole channel. I've talked to him up <laughs> way, way too much, man. I'm gonna have to delete the website, the channel, Twitter's gone. Y'all, I'm gonna go off the grid if he's a bust. Man, I just, you know, the, the guy was like, maybe it's just, you know, the first day in pass, you know, maybe it was a little rust or whatever, but he said it sure was a lot of one hoppers. <laughs> He well, said anything over 15 yards was not a good look. I, I'm gonna go. I, I'm gonna try to get. So I, I've been talking to some SWAC FCS programs. My goal is to kind of do like a camp spotlight where I make it up for a day or two and do some film and interviews and kind of highlight the practices, highlight the teams. And Alabama State just moved to the number one spot in my list. I'm emailing tomorrow <laughs> and I'm gonna try to be out there by Friday. No question. That's what's up, man. But yeah, I just wanted to say that. But hey, man, Blue, keep doing your thing, man. Appreciate you, bro. All right, man. Peace. All right, man. We're going to get to these last two callers here. 705, you're live. What's going on, Blue? This is Doc, man. What's good, man? I think I, think I got an echo. Yeah, for some reason it's echoing on the callers in, but it's not echoing live, man. So uh, you're good to go. Okay. <laughs> hey, so uh, we talk, y'all talking about the uh, the Southland still trying to get the Texas schools? Yeah, they kind of put it on hold because I think the schools want to stick around while Coach Prime's here. But if something happens and he leaves, or some programs decide to move up to the FBS level those conversations are going to progress very quickly from what I was told. Okay. So my whole thing about this is that Prairie View is the long, long holdover from the original sweat because it was the five church schools at Prairie View. Uh, Prairie View basically is written in the state constitution. So basically that's, reason why they get the recognition. But you can't lose that. Like Mr. Campbell said, you can't lose that because you'll lose the Houston you'll lose the Houston market. That's why they're that's that I feel like that's why the Southland wants to go so hard over hard for them because one, you got to look at what what happens on my channel, and it's just because like I'm a college football show is we always look through stuff through like a prism of just football, but when you look at all the right. things those universities are going to bring outside of the football field, because one, you get the Texas Southern basketball program. That'll be huge for the Southland. That carries a lot of weight, and getting to the tournament will bring a lot of money for Texas Southern and the Southland if that move happens. And on top of that, you get two huge recruiting markets. You get two huge TV markets, and the, and the Southland commissioner, Chris Grant, he's in his first year. His goal is to make the Southland a bit more diverse because I think – what he's fighting up against in his first year is this um, perception. And I, I've never been to a Southland game. And I know the fam you stuff happened last year where they said the fans. I, I've had, been there. <laughs> yeah. I've heard the fans are not the most welcoming. We'll just say that. And got, got their problems, but the, the commissioner, I, I, would, I would tell you, I would Go tell ahead. you, so I, I went to SFA for like two years when we was in the Southland Conference. Yeah, we had, they was not welcoming of any other team they came that they came to play, <laughs> especially when it came to football. Yeah, 
but, but the commi- but I can see but I can see Texas Southern going over there, like you said, for basketball because they can replace SFA as far as their basketball program goes. Exactly. That's a that's a big thing, man. And the Southland's been real um proactive in fighting that narrative, especially with Chris Grant coming in. You know, I think he, if I'm not mistaken, y'all don't quote me on this. Y'all can look it up and correct me if I'm wrong. I believe he's the first black commissioner of the Southland, if I'm not mistaken. And so his no, goal, you're right. Yeah. So his goal is to fight against that perception that the conference has like this stigma. And so diversifying the teams and the fan bases is really big for him. And I got to speak to him at Southland Media Day. And man, he was bright eyed and and like had a vision for the Southland. And I don't think he's going to be afraid to step on toes across the country. And he, the teams that he thinks or deems fits for his conference, he's not going to, he's not going to hesitate to reach out to those teams and try to make moves happen for his conference. So it was basically like me. Uh, I was I had Dr. Cavill on my show, and uh, we basically said that the SWAC has always been a mover and shaker conference because you had a lot of schools come in, come out, come in, come out, and then we added schools in, and we kept it the way it was until FAMU and uh, Bethune came in. Yeah. So it, it's all the conference has always been moving and shaking, but it, with realignment. I, I don't see how the SWAC would be able to to withstand like either somebody coming and poaching the school or they're gonna have to find some schools to come in to keep the conference as uh, it as a whole. Yeah, I mean that's a big thing. And I mean Grant's I I would give Grant a lot of credit for sc- almost saving the Southland. Cause I think if you go back and watch my show from just a few months ago, I was like, Oh man, the Southland's on a deathbed losing teams left mm-hmm. and right. And he brought a lot of those teams back and now has them looking to expand even more. And so I think he, if I remember right, he even said he's going to put an emphasis on recruiting other FCS teams rather than pulling from D two again. Cause they pulled, uh, Texas A&M Commerce from D2, who's a really good team, and they have a great program, and yeah. I'm really excited to see what they do. But he's going after big-time FCS programs, and it just happens. I think the OVC, ASUN, SWAC, and potentially the WAC, if that falls apart after Sam Houston leaves, I would not be surprised to see Stephen F. Austin and some of those schools hop back um, into the Southland. Well, I can say this about SFA. I don't think they want to hop back into the Southland because I feel like they left a bad taste in their mouth. That's a fact. I will I, agree I with that. Them, yeah. Yeah, I don't see them hopping back, but I see them moving, like, uh, forward into another conference or just, just staying in the whack. Yeah, I'll- I was more talking about if the WAC doesn't make it because they lose Stephen, um, they lose um, Sam Houston next year, and I believe um, they would only have four teams after that. Yeah, because they, yeah, because they have they play the A the ASON WAC challenge. Yeah, in, and in I just don't know if that's going to be enough. I mean, Abilene Christian no, it, it won't and some be of enough. those other schools. <laughs> I don't know, man. It's going to be interesting. Yeah. 
But anyway, man, you have a great show. Uh, everybody, y'all check out my show, HBCU Overdrive with Doc Holiday. Just uh, putting that out there. <laughs> hey, man, guys, go subscribe to my guy, man. Hey, I appreciate the call, man. All right, bro. So you got another caller here. 401, you're live. Hey, what's going on, Blue? How are you doing? What's good, man? How are you? Doing all right. I just wanted to talk about the the MEAC versus SWAT culture for a couple for a minute or two. Yeah, that's fine. My you big good? thing has always been like and I think the SWAC would probably be more welcome as well, but I think the MEAC from their standpoint, when it comes to a PWI moving up into that conference, I don't think it'll be an issue at all. Um, because you got to consider some of the schools that are within that conference. You know, I think the bigger yeah. concern is how the celebration bowl is going to work. If like the University of New Haven wins the MEAC, <laughs> that I don't know, or or like even if like let's say they add Campbell or Bryant or someone yeah. like that, like is what is the response going to be to go see Southern play Campbell in Atlanta? It should be a good game, at least. It would be a great game. I, I agree. As an FCS guy, love it. But with but we but we know the stigma. Uh, of those types of games, especially neutral site, is it going to have the same effect as the SWAC versus MEAC? And then also you have the people who consider it the HBCU National Championship. Is that still the case if it's not just HBCUs? Man, that discussion ends there, buddy. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, all hell will break loose at that point. I mean, really and truly. I mean, I think as long as the conferences get paid, I think I think the conferences won't care, right? That's true. Oh no, listen, the programs, conferences will not care, and I think we get that distinction mixed up sometimes. And in terms of the fan perception, is not the program, conference, or administration perspective. I think they look at it like. You know, Mr. Campbell says all the times, if it doesn't make dollars, it doesn't make sense. As long as it's making dollars, they're cool with it. Now, the fans, their perception is going to be much, much different in terms of going to the game, supporting it, and how that game is perceived by the masses, in my opinion. Yeah, but, you know, sometimes it's a matter of it's not a problem until it becomes one, right? Right. So I don't think nobody's going to talk about it unless the University of New Haven or Campbell wins the MIAC, and then they show up. They show up to Atlanta. But it's in my opinion, like looking at it, you know, I feel like the Celebration Bowl's gotten lucky because every year, like let's look at the history. There's always been solid brands that have made that game. I mean, can you think of a matchup? that has not had one of the top HBCU brands in that game? Nope, not yet. Not yet. So what happens when the tides shift, which ultimately they always do in college football, and we get, let's just say, like, uh, it, let's say the COVID year wasn't a COVID year, UAB, UAPB wins the swag. What happens when you get a Delaware State UAPB matchup in the Celebration Bowl? Mm. I don't I don't know if the I don't know if the perception of that game is the same as a lot of people like to say it is right now. Look, man, I, I mean I, I'm gonna it's gonna be interesting to see if like if Tennessee State wins OVC, if A T wins the Big South, 
and one of those teams do some damage in the playoffs, yeah, then what? Uh, that's been my biggest thing because what you know, let's just say, well, let's just lay it on the table there. North Carolina A&T upsets North Dakota State, wins the Big South. They make a run to the second or, th- or second round or quarterfinals of the playoffs. You got Tennessee State that wins to OVC, makes a run to let's say the same round, whatever round you want to say A and T makes it to, and then you got Jackson State who wins the Celebration Bowl with one loss. Who's the HBCU national champion? A and T, because they they had the starter out of conference win. Yeah, that's what I'm saying, and eight. it's going to be a debate till the end of time. I mean, everyone's yeah. claiming a championship at that point. Well, they, they do that every year anyway. But exactly. And that's why there were like, three God, different national championships. <laughs> Mr. Cable said that will never happen. That's just like the AAC or the MAC making the playoffs. That was hilarious. <laughs> Leave the MAC alone, Mr. Campbell. They're doing their best up there in the Northeast or, or, or the Midwest. My bad. I don't know, man. It, it's going to be interesting. But, I mean, so other than Campbell, I mean, because, you, listen, you kind of know about the MEAC landscape. Other than Campbell, what P, what PWI do you think would be a fit for that conference? I mean, I think if you're going to raid somebody, it would be the Big South. But the problem is I just don't see any of them having an interest. Like, yeah. in my opinion, I think Campbell will try to go to CAA or a different conference. I agree. Or maybe, like, if Southern, like, if A&T was still in the MEAC, but then again, UNCG would move. Like, a lot of schools would, like, I think they're going to have to grab a school from D2 to come up. And I think it won't be a, a long-term thing. It'll be, we're going to show up to get some, to get the build, and then once they build, they're going to leave. It, someone but. suggested VMI. Uh, that would be interesting. A military institute joining the MEAC. Potentially, they got some military folk running some of them schools, so it would make sense. Yeah, I mean, it it could it could be there. I know they're in the SoCon right now, and the SoCon's done a good job of not losing anybody unless it's the FBS. And then he mentioned Bryant, Bryant potentially. I I think maybe because Bryant fits geographically I live with up like here. the northern I live up teams. Here. I know where Bryant is. I live in Rhode Island. I know where Bryant yeah. is, man. That's a haul. Like you want to talk about folks complaining about travel? I think South Carolina State will leave the conference if that happens. You think so? Oh yeah. Mm. The travel cost. That's true. That's the problem, man. As a full um, member? Yeah. Yeah, nah. Because you would have Bryant there. I'm trying to think. Charleston Southern, Robert Morris, um, potentially. With I don't know. Like my problem is okay, and I, I've said this, and just to be consistent, um. My, I've, my, I've always said, don't add teams just to add teams. You have to add teams yep. with value. And I don't see the value in in the MEAC adding a Charleston Southern or Robert Morris or someone like that. Yeah, I agree. Like, I, I think they need a final school within their area. Like, I think going to New Haven is excessive, too. I mean, you're talking for for South Carolina, that's a, that's a 12-hour hike. Yeah, to get to Connecticut, to New Haven, Connecticut. So, <laughs> Mr. I, Campbell that, said anyone but, but they the need Citadel. to add some teams, man, because I don't think Howard leaving is over. No, I, <laughs> if I had to make a prediction, Howard is going to leave the MEAC within the next two to three years. Once Dr. Frederick retires, the move happens. 
because I think the CAA is going to go after two, maybe three more teams because they want to have that almost like the FCS Super Conference pretty much. And I think Campbell and Howard are the next two teams that they're going to want to grab because I don't think they're going to pull South Carolina State, and I think they know that. And I think Norfolk is another team that you have to look at because it fits the market that they lost when they lost James Madison. Yeah, so I'm looking at the chat. Yeah, I know that Dr. Frederick is retiring, but my point is he didn't want to read the MEAC on his way out the door. <laughs> he didn't want that to be part of his legacy. So he, they're going to they're gonna, they're gonna replace him, and then the new guy is going to make the move. And then on top but, of uh, that, with the, in terms of MEAC talk, I still think the NEC is going to make a strong push for um, – Delaware State and Morgan, especially with being that first step, that they're already playing multiple sports in that conference. Well, South Carolina State's been playing teams in the Southern and SoCon for years. Yeah. So, like, I mean, like, so if if Howard if Howard would have made the move to go to the CAA, most of the folks had a landing spot. You know, so. I think it would have been. I think it would have been a fight, really and truly, between the OVC and the SOCON for South Carolina State, possibly the ASUN. But I think the OVC would have pitched – their pitch to South Carolina State would have been, we have an HBCU already. We would like to add another. We want to try to you know, rebuild our conference, make it more stable, and adding you would – you know, and they'll, they'll pitch you know, their bullet points on what South Carolina State would add. I want – I think the OVC would make a really, really, really strong run at South Carolina State, but because the, the SoCon drags their feet so much in terms of expansion and things like that, I just I don't know if they would take the risk of expansion because they typically don't expand unless they lose somebody. Yeah, that's true. Like somebody I, asked I, about Coppin State and, and, and UMass, but. Uh, I could see Coppin State getting an invite to the AC. Hmm. Yeah, because I know, I yeah, know Bowie State sure. already said they're not moving up. Yeah, I don't see why Bowie would move up. To be honest, nobody with you. like no, no. I don't think a, I don't think the D two HBCU is serious about moving up right now. Like, I, I think, think there's too right much now, uncertainty. I don't, I don't see it happening. It's the same. It's the same thing as why a lot of FCS teams potentially could not want to move up. Because there's so much instability across the FCS because of the instability of FBS. Like there's like this whole trickle down effect that I don't know if any D2s want to take that risk because they saw what happened to um, what was it, Kentucky State in the MEAC and Savannah State? No, Savannah State. Yeah, Savannah, Savannah State, State. That's right. Yeah. And so, so do you want to take that risk right now in, in this year of, you know, or, or this time of instability? Yeah, it, I, I just think everybody everybody is saying, oh, well, we just need to get a B2 school, HBCU up, but I don't think a lot of them are interested in going. And now a lot of them don't want to leave the conference they're in because they're well-ran. <laughs> yeah, and I know, yeah, so uh, one of the comments, Tuskegee already said it was their goal to move up. I don't know what the timeline on that is, though, because I feel like some of these conferences want it to happen sooner rather than later, and you can't rush a move. From, from division to division like this has to be something you got to be planning so i just don't know what the timeline on tuskegee is to move up yeah 
I, yeah, I mean, that would be great for the SWAC if they can get Tuskegee uh, in the conference. Yeah, yeah I'm not sure on that, man. Robberies. Well, we got, apparently we got someone from Tuskegee in here. He said, you give us 65 scholarships, we've taken over the FCS. <laughs> Fair enough, man. Fair enough. And they don't but have hey, to have night games. A lot of schools don't. A lot of schools just recently had their first night game, so that's not a big deal. People bring that up. That's not a big deal. You know, that's one thing that got me last year um, with with Jackson State, man. Could you like the the uh, the fact that Jackson don't don't have night games at home, man? That's tough. It's because yeah. it, they they didn't have a home night game last year, did they? Other so. than the SWAT championship. Yeah, man. I, it'll be interesting to watch see how this unfolds. But I mean, the the committee will be done at the end of the month, right? Yeah, I believe it's, it's coming up. Committee, so we'll we'll, we'll know we'll, we'll know what it's going to be very soon. Hey, man, I appreciate your call, man. No question, Blue. Keep doing what you're doing, my man. Later, man. Have a- um, four oh four. Um, you just hung up. Call back in four oh four. Whoever that is, that you'll be my last caller. And we'll wrap this up, man. This went way longer than I expected, man. But I appreciate y'all calling in and commenting. Let's see, you might have to have night games for TV. Yeah, that's true. Because yeah, um, really and truly, the TV networks determine the times of the game. I don't know how that works with ESPN Plus, though. You ESPN Plus, I'm not, I'm not sure, man. Back in the day, JSU only had 7 p.m. starts. Man, listen, I'm biased. Listen, there's a few things I'm biased about. One is I hate neutral site games. I cannot stand neutral site games. And two, there is nothing better than a night game, man. Night games on college campuses are gold, man. If 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 Auburn or or whatever or whatever team I'm watching can play every game at night, sign me up, man. Sign me up. Yeah, Michigan did just get lights. They played their first Michigan played their first night game with like Denard Robinson. It was like in 2011 or something like that. It was against um Notre Dame, I believe it was like the first night game in, in the big house, which is insane that they just got light. They just got lights at that stadium. North Carolina Central will try to follow wherever Norfolk goes to. I agree. Yeah, man, I, night games hit different pairs. Listen, I remember when I was a student, night games were were like gold, man. Like all the big games. Like that's why I hate the SEC's TV network. As a fan and, and, and as a student, I hated our games having to kick off at 3.30 or 2.30, whatever it was, uh, because of the CBS, depending on the time zone. I hated that, man. I wanted I wanted our games to kick off 6, 7 o'clock at night, man. Let's, um, I remember one year I was a student, the, the LSU game kicked off at like 8 p.m., man. It was amazing. That, that was one of the most fun – experiences man i had as a student jackson tries to have their games over before (laughs) you are you are wild man 404 man i'm gonna give you like two more minutes uh to call in if you want to call back in and um, i'll get your call but if not we're gonna wrap this up the southern game was at night but that was on the road michael i'm talking about a home game in the vet at night i think in and the swag championship started during the day and then it ended at night so I, i i would like to see it you know kick off at like 6 30 especially like the boombox and the vet keep kicking that thing off at like six thirty, seven o'clock at night would be amazing, man. Uh, Hey man, I appreciate you, Russell. We had to get, we had to get a little bit of MEAC talk. Um, Yes, man. Listen, the big 12 and the big 10 screwed up that TV deal, man. 11 a.m. kickoffs. 
You can miss me with that 100% of the time. And 11 a.m. kickoffs are the death of the death of students, man, because students have to get there so early and you want to tailgate before you can't. Got to wake up at like 530 to get everything ready, man. 11 a.m. kickoffs. I cannot stand. Let's see. Aggie Eagle Classic for Dukes Bay is going to be at 730. I'm excited for that game, man. Um, I really do think that was one of the other games um, I was looking at going to week one. Um but I really wanted to get to Lorman and go to that Stephen F. Austin game. Let's see. Uh, should the Alabama school go to the Sunbelt Conference? Uh, Chris, I, I, no. I'm just going to say no. The Sunbelt is – I, I don't see either of those schools going anytime soon. Um, and I would be surprised if UAPB wanted to add more Alabama schools to that conference on top of what's already there. So I'm going to say probably not, but if they do move up, we'll see if they get an invite, but I would be, uh, that was way, way down the line for either Alabama school to move up to at least the Sun Belt. man, that conference is going, is, is really, really stout in terms of talent. Best games in Bragg stadium were always at night. I'm telling you, there's not a fan out there who could say their stadium is better in the day. It's, it's, there's not a chance. Blue, do you think the NCAA will come down hard on Norfolk State if, the, if they lose to class action lawsuit? Potentially. So, uh, Chris, I, I personally, I don't know of a situation that rivals it. I don't think – listen, y'all can correct me. Listen, um, you know, I'm more on the field, but off the field, I don't remember any any other school getting in that type of trouble in terms of – um, sexual har- harassment, hazing type things like that. But I would imagine um, the penalty will not be light, Chris, but I'm not, I, I can't really make a prediction on what it will be, but I would imagine they are going to get a pretty steep punishment if that comes to uh, f- uh, fruition, in my opinion. She says, brunch. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> I agree. Uh, Dion don't like night games. That's his bedtime. Would you like to see Valdosta State in West Florida? Yes. Um, I think you can. Um, I, th- I think if you go back and watch some of my earlier shows, Aaron, I said Valdosta State and Florida and uh, West Florida are two teams that I would like to see move up. But the problem is, I don't know if either of those programs have the um, have the I would say resources and financial backing and infrastructure to make that move yet. Uh, West Florida is probably more likely than Valdosta, but I don't even think Valdosta has their own stadium, if I'm not mistaken. Um, I know Leon. Um, Probably if he's still in the chat, uh, went to Valdosta, I believe, and he could probably answer that more. But from what I know, I don't think Valdosta has the infrastructure right now, Aaron. But West Florida is on that movement to move up. Uh, South Carolina State and North Carolina tees at seven o'clock. Okay, that's gonna be such a good game, too, man. There's so many games I want to get to this year. Um, hell, the only game during the day might have been homecoming. I remember they played Grambling in '82 or '83 during the game, that was a crazy game. Hey, man, so 404 didn't call back. Listen, you can catch me on the next call-in show, 404, if you want to call back in on another show, man. But uh, listen, I appreciate y'all tuning in, man. Listen, two hours and 40 minutes tonight uh, for a live stream. And uh, check out our website, thebluebloodspod.com, for all our recruiting content. All freshman team coming soon, like I mentioned earlier. Uh, make sure to share the stream. Hit the like button on your way out. And if you're not subscribed, go ahead and subscribe. And we're trying to make it to 4K before the season starts, man. We're about 200 subscribers away from that. But, guys, 
I'll make sure, I promise, I know I told y'all that last time, and we're going to make these live streams more common during the season, and we're going to probably be doing two, three live streams a week traveling for the season, man. So hit the subscribe button, hit the like button. You're not going to want to miss it, man. Y'all have a great night, and I will be back next time, man.